0: Hello, everyone, welcome to episode 37 in a row of Link to the Cast. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and here joining me to navigate to the world of video games and nerd culture ephemera is the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark,
1: how are you? You may have already clipped the audio file on the first thing that you did, so well done. Shall we start again? No, 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 I'm keeping it in okay, there. We're... I'm keeping it in there. <laughs> You're not used to having the mic this close to you. No, I'm not. Like, I'm yeah. used to... Well, like, my whole thing,
0: like, my background of kind of speaking is, like, public speaking. So I'm used to projecting towards the back of a room. Yeah. I'm not used to the down low. I,
1: I think it's a combination of that and also, uh, A, my audio uh, editing skills is pretty limited. Um, and also, we still have no fucking pop shields. Yeah. what well, I don't know
0: what's got... They're somewhere in space at the moment. <laughs> Amazon have dispatched them. Yeah.
1: They are not here. By, they were supposed to be here by last Friday. I think by space that probably means they're on the Isle of Man.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be here by last Friday. It is now the following Thursday mm-hmm. and not um not a peep. I'll uh, when I hand over to you for your part, I will I will give a live update on what Amazon says on the live package tracking to see Definitely. where it is. I imagine it will still be in this big gray area
1: called dispatched, but anyway. <laughs> How has your week been, pal? Um, I mean, we've had pretty similar weeks in that we've both done a little bit of travelling. Been on the road again. We have been on the road again.
0: Yeah. Uh, Things have been a little bit late going up on the site this week because I was away during the week and... You you luckily enough were away at the weekend, so your, your being away didn't really affect things that no, much. No, But
1: yeah, used in some proper jet setting.
0: Yeah, well, you first because I think I genuinely do want to include this feature. Now, I jokingly said it a couple of weeks ago, but I want to and think about. I actually have in my head a good bumper tune for uh, Mark's lessons from Ireland or okay. something. We we'll call is, it. I'll is think
1: this about, the sequel to the Oriental Odyssey? Update. Yeah, yeah, okay, pretty much. Right. The,
0: Mark's Gaelic Adventure okay, update. So sure. We will get you every week to give what you've learned about Ireland this week. Uh-huh. Okay, All right. so that's your that's that's the challenge. This is i out. not going, into
1: going in the to the end well. This might start. This uh, is going to start the troubles again. Yeah, yeah pretty much.
0: Yeah, <laughs> everyone's going to kick off. Yeah,
1: as if Brexit wasn't bad enough. Can't
0: wait till our Belfast trip. <laughs> oh Jesus. Um,
1: <laughs> no. So I went to Galway for the weekend. Um, which... firstly, points for correct
0: pronunciation. Thank you. Thank you. The amount of your countrymen and just people who aren't from here that say Galway—it's I... right up
1: there with Glasgow. Yeah, well, I think my <laughs> girlfriend corrected me on at least four separate occasions over the weekend, so yeah. at some point I was going to get it right. Yeah, so. we can be pedants sometimes <laughs> with that sort of thing. Yeah uh yeah no i i like uh, i like that part of the world it's very very beautiful sadly we was only there for one night so we didn't really get a lot of time to actually go and uh like go over to the aran islands um you didn't go out to salt hill did you no we went to salt hill yeah Hill's nice yeah really really
0: nice uh we did salt hill well we i'm do- told again galway is one of the uh, very few places in Ireland I haven't been to yet. I oh just, really? I just haven't I had like, I
1: haven't had occasion to. Oh okay, fair enough. But um but no, Salt Hill was very nice and then we went a little further uh west to a place called and this is where I'm gonna start butchering words now. Unspiddle or Anspiddal or Spiddle. Spiddle. Yeah, okay. I can in Irish, but it's Spittle. Okay. Uh, think, think like spittle i just but with d i just kept
0: saying it in a german accent because it's spittle you need to tell our friend who no one will know listening to this apart from maybe brony uh, tom Connolly. you need to tell him you've been to spittle yeah uh yeah just i won't waste time on the podcast with it but you need to it'll pop him huge okay um so uh yeah my girlfriend He's currently at the plowing championships by the way <laughs>
1: how quintessentially my Irish friend tom I'm. is
0: the most 1950s <laughs> ireland man i've ever
1: met in my life and he's 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 not even 27 yet it's fucking amazing maybe 27 a week uh, from today he's a, he's a great man yeah. but yeah uh, we went out there we stopped at a, a topaz garage i got myself a breakfast wrap and then we sat by the beach rapper uh, roll rap oh yeah i know right some sort of freak hey look yeah, i didn't even know they did i didn't know wraps made it out to galway I fucking z- but hey look it was a wrap and there was a hash brown and some black pudding now, do you mean it was and, wrapped in a bread roll I, well yeah no it was like an actual fajita sort of wrap it fucking was crazy oh, I, tell you like, I, was in
0: a, I was in a part of dublin recently where um the deli in a garage was doing
1: focaccia bread it's like the fucking notions of a garage doing focaccia bread Get a fucking grip, lads. Look, mate, we've got to start getting this kind of new age fine cuisine into all parts of you know society. You're the, it, when you're in the, the posh parts of Dublin, it goes from like a sloppy breakfast roll to focaccia sandwiches. Mm, yeah. But uh, but no, it was it was cool. And uh, it was cold. It's it, The temperature has dropped noticeably. Oh good, not the wrap. No, no, no. Yeah, the, rap. the, the rappers are right. Okay. Um, they're these nice little kind of. They almost look like beach huts, but they were actual houses, and they had lots of. Uh, I I think some kid just off the street had gone down to the beach, picked up some rocks, and painted over them. But they looked quite nice, yeah. and there was some uh, kind of glass architecture and, and jewelry, and uh, and it was yeah, it was lovely. Um, it, the, the city itself, or uh, yeah, that's quite a city. Was uh, was you know hustling? Yeah, and it's, bust- it's like it's it's a large town. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. But it was hustling and bustling. And um, you know there was there was plenty of activity going on, and I immediately felt like I preferred Goy to to Dublin. Um, yeah, like Dublin has a kind of
0: rough edge to it, mm-hmm. um, is the thing. So I think you'll much prefer Galway and Cork. Yeah, because it's got pretty much the same stuff, but it's more chill. Yeah,
1: Galway is very very chill, almost chill to the point that the uh, the hospitality provided there is maybe a little bit too chill and a little bit too relaxed. Yeah, like, well, the thing as
0: well is like it's a it's a big university town. Like most of the people I know that have lived there or gone there at some point is because they went to college there. Yeah. Like my buddy Peter who you met recently. Um, who I think you met recently. Uh-huh. anyway. Um, He is just back from... He did a PhD for four years in Galway. Okay. And I always said I was going to go out to him but yeah. so it never, never ended up Well like it, the... He'd be busy or I'd be busy sort of thing. The, the
1: town square, the kind of central hub, was uh was really, really busting. I don't know whether it was fresh this week or just the week after, but you know, there was students hanging around and um and then you kinda go a little bit further down and you've got the streets where the pubs are and stuff and it's a pretty kinda compact area but it doesn't feel very claustrophobic at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had some of the nicest lamb I've ever had since we stayed over in Manchester a few weeks ago. That is the that's the brass ring for lamb yeah. So, yes, Goy is a place that I plan to go to uh, next time for a few more days so I can get the proper kind of feel of it. And the thing that surprised me the most, actually, uh, and I don't know whether it's just because in my mind, when I think of uh, a country and the kind of regional dialects, uh, basically, like, so for London is the dialect that I'm most common and, and familiar with. Anywhere outside of that, the dialect changes and, and kind of pretty extreme, certainly if you go north to like Newcastle. Mm. I found it surprising that where the place where Irish or Gaelic or is the Irish is the, the term that you use for it. Irish, yes, that
0: is the correct. G- yeah, G- people call it Gaelic only because the Irish for Irish is Gaelga.
1: Oh right, okay, fair enough. So that's where the confusion is, but okay. it's it's Irish. Yeah. Um. But the place where that is most prominently spoken, the people that speak English in out in Connemara, the the accent isn't that extreme at all. Like no, I I struggle to find the, Gal- the Galway
0: accent is quite. Fine, like it's fine it's not indecipherable if you go down to the other um, big area of uh, native Irish speakers down in the Gwaeltacht in Kerry they're mm-hmm. in Dingle sort of area that is utterly imperceptible, Yeah, I imagine, to most people. Like, it's 100 miles an hour and a
1: thick fucking accent. Like, there are parts of Dublin that I struggle to fucking understand the accent. Yeah, yeah, Cork and Kerry are, are
0: probably the ones that are the most indecipherable outside of maybe some areas of Dublin to you. Yeah. Um, because, like, I half my family's from Cork and I have trouble keeping up with the Cork accent sometimes. Um, when does get you down there get you
1: down there and train you up
0: yeah well no sometimes it used to be a joke like i'd come back to my mates after spending a week down there with my family and i'd have a twang (laughs) because you just start speaking in the kind of cadence that they do if you've been around it for it's like any accent like you will start speaking a strange cadence like there's a friend of ours wayne who lives in vienna and uh it's funny because now he comes back and when he speaks english he speaks it in a broken english cadence Because whenever he speaks English over in Vienna, which is rare because he's a fluent German speaker. Yeah. So whenever he speaks German over there, it's usually like broken English Has trying t- to explain because he teaches English Because he t- turned into broken Matt Hardy <laughs> well that's the thing like and he forgets English words for things as yeah. well he forgot the English word for curtains once on a bus to <laughs> college and it was fucking delighted us for minutes on and it,
1: it amazes me like those that know up to five or six languages just yeah. like you must confuse yourself consistently yeah with... my,
0: my godson is uh, relatively fluent in Dutch because his mother's Dutch and mm. he speaks French and he speaks English and he, he's not great at Irish but he knows Irish yeah you
1: know? But, I mean, I imagine it's easier for a lot of those countries where the languages are, are in some way intertwined. Like, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, like the, the Romance languages. As yeah, yeah, saying, yeah. You know, anything that's rooted in Latin are usually roughly
0: obeys the same rules.
1: Yeah. I mean, no. I, just looking at the Irish language and trying to... Comp- it's actually it's, it's 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 very logically put together when you start learning it.
0: Like it it really is like <laughs> on the surface just, though <laughs> from the outside. And there's like additional tenses there aren't in most languages. Like there is an individual tense to describe completed actions in the past as distinct from uh, actions in the past that are still ongoing. Okay. As in, like you did something once in the past and you never did it again, yeah, yeah. or you once did something and it's a thing that you might still be doing. Okay.
1: All right. So yeah, that's that's. Um... My Gaelic lesson for the week. Yeah, interesting. Sure.
0: Uh, I went somewhere slightly different. Uh, I spent the weekend, or, well, no, the early part of the week in Prague. Mm-hmm. Um, my girlfriend is moving over there to do her Erasmus year uh, there, so I went over to help her move her stuff over, spend a couple of days there to get to know the area before I came home and leave her off with it. Um, <clears throat> Prague is a very nice city. Yeah. I'm not going to go into it for too long because, you know, we've already done our, our tourism update for the week, but, uh, it's it's very, it's a very pretty city, very kind of one of these old European cities that, like... It, there's certain elements of it to Dublin, but... Eh, the thing about Dublin, I like, I know it's an old European city and looks like it to people that aren't from here, but when you are just used to it, you don't notice it, kind of a thing. That's the same with London. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't notice it that it is, because I was even talking to my driver on the way back to the airport, and I said, God, it's such a nice, like, classic European city. And he goes, well, Dublin is pretty much... Like, he pointed out, like, Dublin is pretty much the exact same, where it's, like, just a classic there's classic european architecture and there's a river running through the middle of the city pretty much exactly like prague
1: yeah
0: um but it's like it's just it's so pretty and like all the bright different colors and buildings and stuff like, that, like it really i tweeted out that i felt like i was in a fucking wes anderson movie at certain <laughs> points that it was so like twee like it was so kind of pretty and like most of the walking streets are cobblestones and stuff like that like it's it's really nice and um I was uh, pleasantly surprised by the high standard of spoken English there is. You never know. It's kind of scattershot with some European countries. You never know what the standard of English is going to be. Yeah. Or how much, like, they would expect you to try and make an effort with their language. Um, Like, the one I can think of in particular is France, where there is a relatively high standard of English. But it's generally accepted that... They would prefer you make an effort with the language. I
1: see. I think the other way around, because from every well, time- this is
0: literally we were taught this in school when we were studying French. They were like, you need to try and make an effort, and they will like. It, there are certain not. This isn't. I'm not generalising. There are certain kind of like um, perhaps probably older people in France who would be kind of uh upset if you were to mix up your twos and your vues because you're supposed to use your vues formally yeah i, I, I imagine this is a generational
1: thing but from every uh, yeah. story i've ever heard they kind of turn their nose up when you attempt to to speak french but that that might just be a generational thing and that, that again changes. Yeah. And... and the thing in the thing in the czech republic is that most people under the
0: age of i'd say about 45 so people who anyone who was going to school towards the end of the soviet union um has a relatively high standard of English. The only people who don't really speak any English at all are older people. Yeah. Um, I- we, we only encountered in the two days, myself or Emma, because we had separate adventures because she'd be off in college and I wandered around Prague during the day trying to figure out stuff that was near her apartment for her mm-hmm. convenience. And in that entire two days, between the two of us adventuring in different places around the same city, we only collectively ran into one person who didn't speak English and it was a very old woman. Yeah. who still was able to understand what Emma was asking for and write down an answer. <laughs> but yeah, like everybody else there I spoke had really good conversational English, which is amazing because it's I, I'm not one of these people that expects everyone should speak English. I'm someone who goes somewhere abroad and I understand that for someone who doesn't natively speak English, it is an incredibly difficult language to pick up. So I'm very, very happy when I go somewhere and someone has made the effort to actually learn the language because it makes it
1: easier for me yeah. Cause it was it was the same much in... like i
0: i would if i was going over to stay in a country for any period of time i would make a concerted effort to
1: yeah speak their language well like i, I was gonna say it was the same in china where um the elder g- uh, generations had i don't think they'd ever even seen any uh, a white person before yet with the younger generations they, there and was a boy are you white i know right there's a pretty consistent um sort of tone between the all the younger generations where they if nothing else can read english because they all learn it from a very young age and Mm -hmm. they basically just kind of read it read it regurgitate into a piece of paper Boom, you know english which obviously isn't how it works um but you know a lot of them can understand the kind of keywords can have a very broken conversation Mm -hmm. well this is like in in the czech republic like everyone like had
0: proper like I wouldn't say fluency but I'd say like a step or a half step underneath fluency like yeah. I was able to have like I was in I'd say I spent the guts of half an hour to 40 minutes on my transfer from Emma's apartment to the the airport I was able to have a full blown conversation with the man in the that was driving me yeah I like
1: I, I hate the fact the guy who looked like discount Jason Statham I hate the fact that like most of Europe uh, to some degree or another can speak a relative degree of English while not for you guys because yeah. you have your own language that you make a concert in yeah to learn. I
0: also for a while was pretty good at conversational French but it's one of those things when you stop doing you it regularly just, it's gone
1: it's gone yeah
0: Um, and one of the problems with Irish here like there's a lot of people who, like, disagree with Irish being taught in schools as mandatory, because it is, it's mandatory up until you finish
1: secondary Wait, school. Wait, there's people that disagree with it?
0: Yeah, no, there is, there's people who think, oh, it's a dead language, we shouldn't be fucking learning it, and stuff like that, but I'm my whole thing, and shock horror, because I'm a history teacher, is like, well, it is part of our culture. Yeah, Irish exactly. Age, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, But yeah, with... as like, sometimes I would have been like, well, I'd be thrilled if I didn't have to do this Irish homework tonight, I know, right?
1: but... But we're, we're the fucking clowns, uh, talking about England here, um, who are like, yeah, we're the big shots here, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, we're dependent on, on other people learning our language. Yeah. And uh, there's a really good... I love uh, D- Dylan Moran's bit about the English traveling abroad during the colonial era, which was uh you 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 and you fuck off we're having tiffin <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna bring up uh, eddie azard um and talking about the kind of bilingual uh, kind of hot pot of, of europe and uh he's like hello hello oh always got some deutsche markers oh fuck off we don't want them <laughs> oh, oh we do we do want your deutsche markers oh okay uh, uh shall we talk about video games yeah sure <laughs> playing this week
0: hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, it was only a matter of time you moved here. It was late January, early February? Uh, early February, yeah. Early February. It was only a matter of time until football games got to you by osmosis.
1: I like football games. Wow, the sickness is going to set in now. I'm not going to go waist. I'm not going to go that far just yet. Uh, not just I, yet. The thing is I'd actually been playing the FIFA demo quite a bit, uh, but I'd only played the PES demo twice for when we uh, talked about it last week. Yeah. And I thought, I'll, I'll go back to it. I'll see if it's if there's any more of an impression there because I went because the... it's been getting strong reviews from myself, from young Steve
0: Burns, from many other people as much as we thought. Last year, Pez was back. This is proper... It's not... uh, Kind of like I said in my review this week, it's not that it and FIFA are neck and neck as
1: much as they are equally good at being slightly different. Yeah. And so I played the Pez demo first, having not really played a football game for quite a while. Then went to the FIFA one, but I didn't go back to the PEZ one to kind of then appreciate the differences between the two. Yeah. So having done You're that... You were
0: playing FIFA to, en- to that point, you'd been playing FIFA to enjoy it, and you'd only been playing PES because we were doing content based around Yeah,
1: it. more or less. But having gone back to PES to... to... My apologies. <laughs> you have My it. phone just went crazy having uh, gone back to pez now to appreciate the differences i think i do prefer how pez feels it has a uh, a slight more fluidity to it mm. the the ball kind of rolls between the players in a mm. um, a lot more kind of a, a natural feel i i i think in some ways um and just the general just yeah just, just general gameplay feel uh, is more akin to how i uh i seem to be preferring because i just i i feel that i prefer it over how uh, fifa plays um so that, that's pretty much it for really for pez like i'm only still playing the demo yeah but um, you, you're you seem to be at least partially committed to buying a football
0: game this year potentially because you talked about that you messaged me this when i was in prague that you might be getting you got a game that you're about to talk about and i'm about to talk about as well um, but you were also considering um, buying a football game. I I might but do. You're, you're gonna you're gonna wait and see what the final version of FIFA I'm looks gonna wait, like first. I'm gonna wait till I get a paycheck. Yeah. Um, the final version of FIFA as well. Like I can tell you from the last two years, like the demo handles one way, and the final game is slightly different. Yeah. I think they must finish off the demo slightly earlier in the development process mm. than Pro Evo do. Pro Evo just te- seems to take like a vertical slice of pretty much the finished product.
1: I think the thing is well, FIFA, it's not it's it's less polished. Yeah, but I think the thing as well from what you was talking to me about um, over Messenger was that, I mean, we approach playing football games from a very different degree in that you yeah. play it a lot and I don't. Yeah, and Like I said, I have a very granular
0: perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would notice minute differences that yeah, maybe other people mightn't necessarily. And
1: you were talking about, you know, the amount of depth and content that fifa has which absolutely fair enough and that's do. not even including ultimate team because i don't play ultimate team i just want to point that out right no here. um but most of that isn't going to be of much interest to me like i for me i feel that it's going to be a game that i just want to kind of basically it's going to be like rocket league to me i just want to play a a game and mm. then play something else and I'm still going to do that with Rocket League, but it'd be nice to have an actual football game as well to do that with. Yeah. And uh, you were as well talking about that you play it online with other people. I'm never going to play it online yeah. because I... Yeah.
0: Well, the debt to me is even again, just... Again, Rocket League is yeah, all I do for that. The depth to me is even just more in like um just career mode. Like, yep, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I find like the emergent gameplay and like, you know, who's challenging for the league each mm. year and kind of how interesting the league can swing and how injuries can genuinely affect your season and stuff like that is a bit more dynamic in fifa and keeps me coming back yeah and i think as well that... I, I i can keep uh, sorry to across you there like in master league which i'm playing through at the moment i'm more than halfway through my seat my first season in master league that's how much i play football games this game mm-hmm. only came out a week ago and I've, I've even with all my travels i'm still more than halfway through a season on that game yeah i think as well um, that's I, the sorry the just while i remember this no. um conditioning isn't as much of an issue in pro evo whereas like i can pretty much play the same 11 every single week and players don't seem to get upset about that and their conditioning doesn't seem to go down so much that i like in fifa if you don't play players that are like because when you sign a player you assign them a role within the team like they can be anything from a like future star all the way up to crucial first team player Mm. And if you aren't playing them enough to kind of tick off that box that they're playing at the level that you sign them for, they get upset and agitate for a transfer to the point where the board forces you to sell them. Whereas that doesn't appear to be happening in Pro Evo. And then um, the conditioning thing as well, like being able to play your best 11 every single week to me isn't very challenging. Like if I'm able to play Zlatan, Pogba, Mkhitaryan, Mata and Rooney as like a front five every single week, that's kind of not very challenging in yep. the Premier League because sometimes I'm going to be playing Burnley. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm going to be playing Hull and I'm going to blow them off the pitch yeah. with, with those players. Whereas in FIFA, those are the weeks where I'm going to have to switch out and start Rashford and different players uh, Lingard and stuff like that. So I'm going to have to think a bit more about the tactics. I, I
1: think that kind of subconsciously plays into why i probably prefer Pez as well because... Uh, I, I spent a lot of time with Football Manager early this year, and I know FIFA over the last couple of years have been implementing more of the, the kind of Football Manager elements mm-hmm. into the FIFA series, and I... I really kind of, they're, they're two separate games for me and I have no desire to have them cross over with football manager. Well, in the, in, with in football the, manager, yeah. I want to play a fucking spreadsheet. Yeah, well, with FIFA, I yeah, want to actually well, play football. Well, in individual matches, it doesn't matter in FIFA. No, no, but in but the in career, career mode. a career mode, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for it's, me, I would just,
0: like, I finish one game, I want to go straight on to the next. Yeah. You can't just, like, I remember, was it FIFA 2003 where you could pretty much just, like, the transfer system with there was, like, pretty much put in how much you think you want to pay <laughs> for a player and you get the player. yeah, yeah. Like it's become uh, like it's become much more dynamic, and yeah. I appreciate that. But look, moving on, we don't want it to become the football show twice in a week. Um, I want to talk about it because I, I want to kind of dovetail um your section into my section. So I'm going to skip forward here on what you've been playing is you are in the Final Fantasy well.
1: Yes. Well, I, there's no point talking about it too much because the Final Fantasy will be a book club feature a little bit down the line but I wanted to get some, I say, early impressions. I've put 20 hours into it, and I'm only on disc two. <laughs> early impressions. Which actually, yeah. to, for Final Fantasy, is is kind of apropos. I think this may be, and I've only played and finished two other Final Fantasy games, but I think this may be my favourite Final Fantasy game. You haven't said which number yet. Number nine. I've played six and seven as well, the other two. Um, and the reasons for that. A... It's a hell of a lot less less melodramatic than the other two. Because as much as people... Which you
0: you put that in as a positive thing. But for me, I love a bit of melodrama in my video games. I
1: like melodrama as well. My favorite game of all time is Majora's Mask. But there is a sense of dread and atmosphere that it's not really melodrama. Foreboding. Foreboding, yes. Where in 7, Cloud is just this stroppy petulant teenager and separov is basically just this guy who has mother issues that is it and there's an asteroid as well six is a little bit better because at least the antagonist is a fucking homicidal genocidal psycho clown killer and I, a sabu isn't yeah yeah and i can i can deal with that here it's a little bit less defined on who the antagonist is like there's a few kind of shady characters but you're not entirely sure kind of what's going on mm but there's still a purpose to what you're doing and the characters that you have to play with to begin with uh, and where i'm up to now uh there's like there's a little uh kind of black mage dwarf guy called vivi who's almost got this kind of childlike sort of sensibility about him who you kind of view the game in a completely different world when you're kind of when he's speaking or you're playing with him and i like that and i haven't really felt that before um with the final fantasy series there might yeah. be other ones vivi is very
0: kind of popular like when you think of final fantasy he's one of the like apart from cloud yeah he's probably like one of the most recognizable figures like yeah. if, if you just google
1: image search him, like people go ah oh, that guy that's mm. who you're talking yeah, about yeah. and um i felt that final fantasy 6 the main female protagonist was a little bit felt a little bit too damsel in distress in in areas but with the main uh, protagonist here uh, she's she's a princess but like they have to kind of cover up and give her another name she becomes dagger she's very much like trying to do her own thing mm-hmm. um and she's uh, she's a pretty inspirational character and so like I'm only 20 hours in and I still don't know necessarily kind of what the main plot device is but it's got these little elements of things that are going on uh that's kind of it's little bite-sized pieces and it's leading me from one town to the next and the world that is created certainly within the first couple of hours um is just as good as when they create midgar in number seven um you know there, there's a lot there and also because it's it goes back to the old sort of traditional elements of final fantasy um with this kind of medieval um uh, but almost sort of steampunkish element i've never i've only kind of clocked on steampunk is something that is uh it's kind of a genre a theme that flows along a lot of the final fantasy games and they use it here as well but it kind of fits more into the narrative and the general tone of what the game is trying to be um so yeah i'm i'm enjoying it and yeah so so far recommends i yeah definitely like mark robinson recommends you heard it here first i have to play this game to the end because it's the only way and i have to do it in a short amount of time because it's the only way i can do rpgs i have to get it done in one like a week or two weeks because if i come back to it in a couple of weeks time i just the interest won't be there for me mm-hmm. and i'm like that with most games in general but definitely with rpgs because they're so long and there's so much to take in. yeah um i suppose the bit where
0: we kind of uh, cross over this week and things we've been playing big time bioshock the collection has arrived yep we can now return to Rapture, return to Columbia. In and a then, slightly higher resolution. Yeah, and then play, um, oh God, what's the name of that DLC from 2? Uh, Fuck, it escapes me. Talk about your return to Bioshock, I'll look it up. Minerva's Shh, Den. Minerva's Den one, yeah. <laughs> Minerva's Den, which is the part of, apparently that DLC is one of the best pieces of Rapture lore in either one or two. Okay. So I'm looking forward to I'm going to play through all of them sequentially. Yep. And I'm looking forward to hitting on that. Okay, so we talk, are at the same it. point.
1: Roughly, you're a little bit ahead of me. We're So we're only really, what, 20, 25 minutes into the game. So yeah, now,
0: b- bear in mind, we have played, I have played Bioshock 1, I think I've done two, maybe three complete playthroughs ever. Mm-hmm. Not including this one that I've just started. Bioshock Infinite, I think it's fair to say I'm an expert on. You have a platinum. <laughs> I have a platinum on there it. There we go. Um. So we know these games. So yes. to say that we're only 25 minutes in isn't us giving tremendously uneducated guests. No, we have
1: played... I have played Bioshock 1. I've played Bioshock Infinite. Have I've, you played Bioshock 2? I've dabbled with, but oh, okay. Not, okay. not gone too much into. Yeah. Um, so far like there's nothing that really feels like it stands out um I'm, I'm sure if you do a side as being different to well yeah yeah no. I, again this is like they are still regardless of what we
0: say here they are still some of the best games that have ever been made what i, and mi- Bioshock 2. What I
1: mean is that i'm sure if you do a side-by-side comparison that you will see the kind of high resolutions and i think yeah. the problem is is because we are at a point now where we're just adjusted to the high resolutions that we play in so mm-hmm. if you went back to See Bioshock in 2007, you would probably yeah, see like no difference. I think,
0: um, because I saw I walked into the room as you were watching a digital foundry side yes. by side, yeah. And, um, I, I think an important thing there is that they seem to be putting side by side the PS4 with the PC in 2008,
1: they were doing quite a few different things because, they they,
0: because I will tell you already early on that, um, Bioshock on PS4 compared to Bioshock on PS3. Well, yes, looks very, very much better. Yeah, no, because they... that there has been a long history with um,
1: people por- having a version of games on PS3 that was a fucking piping mess. Yeah, uh, Bayonetta is the one that always comes to mind. No, they were doing a comparison of Skyrim as well yeah, of PS4, Xbox One, and PC, and they said pretty much across the board they're all pretty much the same. You would expect, yeah. But for me, like in those first twenty-five minutes. Um, what I like about Bioshock, and I like this about games, where within the first five minutes, the world is created for you with just enough mm. to get you going, and you're given a, a motivation for what you're doing and how to do it.
0: Yeah, and, and Bioshock has
1: all of those. Yeah,
0: and as I said earlier on when we were discussing this, walking down the town, I said it also baits the hook that you want to learn more. Yes, you know what I mean—that you actually, it's one of the few games where I know people, um, people do bash the audio log, Voxophone mechanic, but this is one of the few games where. I play it, and there's enough about the world where I actually want to go and look for them. Mm. You know, um, like, sometimes I get swept away in gameplay, and go, do you know what? It's, it's really not that important or interesting me- to me to go find the audio logs in Game X. But in Bioshock games, the more I can know about Rapture, the more I can know about Columbia, the better. Like, I bought the novelization of... Um, it's, it's it's like Andrew Ryan's basically his autobiography. <laughs> I didn't know that's again, been, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I have the ebook of it. It's actually really good. Like yeah? it's proper. It reads like fucking Iron Rand, which you would expect.
1: Was Levine involved with that? Or?
0: Um, yeah, I think create. I don't think he. I don't think he. I'll look up the details. I don't think he necessarily wrote the whole thing, but he would have been like
1: over it. Probably, right. right like. Okay. It's
0: basically uh, Andrew Ryan telling you his his life story. Okay. It's, it's it's quite interesting, but continue.
1: The only other thing I was really going to say is certainly because I, I really felt this with Infinite, and it was kind of a, a common criticism with Bioshock Infinite is that the worst thing about the Bioshock games is the actual shooting mechanics. Mm. Um, and certainly going back now to the original Bioshock, it's quite rough. It's pretty rough. Um, I've been mainly sticking to uh, the electro player's mid and a wrench mm-hmm. um, until I get like a shotgun or whatever else. A shotgun is usually a go-to weapon for me. Um, So that is going to be something that's going to take a little bit more to adjust to. But just in terms of, like, the general feel of the game, the world that's created, um, the atmosphere, and that kind of, like, 1940s, 1950s American...
0: Sorry, just to update there. The book is called Bioshock Rapture, and it's by John Shirley and Ken Levine.
1: Okay. But, yeah, that kind of, like... Uh, swing period 1940s uh kind of jazzy uh almost noir sort of period yeah. is the way they create that is fucking incredible and like it's one of those games as well that i'm probably from the brief amount of time i was playing it i'm probably gonna put my headphones in and play it that way um which i don't do for many games these days because the sound design um is is part of the experience it really mm. is crucial to the experience so yeah i i've only put the 25 minutes in i will try and get around to playing more of it but by god do i need to finish final fantasy 9 first
0: yeah i think it's a game where like because i've played all uh, like t- the two big ones uh it's not something i'm going to be rushing to blitz through and thanks to 2k still having streaming blocked i won't be doing it like in regular increments for part of a stream so it's going to be a nice uh favorite to come back to Every now and then. I'm really looking forward to I don't want to spoil it on myself by starting now, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Columbia again. Yeah. Because I love that game. And but... just to talk about the shooting mechanics as well, like the shooting mechanics, um, the, the the combat mechanics in general, because I suppose shooting doesn't quite encapsulate the plasmids and the movement. Yeah. So the the combat mechanics in Bioshock Infinite are markedly better than they are in the original Bioshock. Still not ideal, but like I was saying to you, it just feels more natural, the dual wielding of... um plasmids or vigors as they're called in bioshock infinite and weapons like it's easier to do a wield it's quicker like it's easy to use the booking bronco to levitate enemies and then take out your carbine and pick them off it's easy to do it whereas in the original bioshock i feel my god it's just labored like you know i need to write i need to take out my left arm and then i need to blast and then i need to take the arm away put out my right arm and then aim and shoot the weapon it just
1: feels like it's a couple of seconds too long bioshock feels very much like a spiritual sequel to system shock 2 and it feels very much like a pc game that has been ported to consoles Where Bioshock infinite feels very much like a game that was created with you know everything in mind yeah and certainly to be played on consoles mm-hmm. uh, that that really feels uh, prevalent there absolutely um the only other thing i've been
0: playing this week um and i'm going to direct people to youtube for a more kind of uh detailed discussion about it speaking of bioshock is what i'm going to call bioshock light and that's dishonored
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um i started playing dishonored definitive edition because i have really i don't know about you but everything i've seen of dishonored 2 which is coming out this christmas is like i want to play that game it looks really cool
1: um i'm not i mean i i wasn't overly sold on the sonnet, and we'll, we'll talk more about the sonnet in, in the news for reasons. Um, I like the game, but I, I was never completely compelled, I never finished it. Uh, some of the mechanics were a little bit clunky for me in, in terms of manoeuvrability, which is one of the key things of that game. Um, but certainly, I don't know, Like there are bits of number two that look pretty cool, uh, the story looked pretty cool
0: yeah it's i haven't gotten too far into the story now like i'm only an hour or so in like because i've been doing it as part of my friday plays series which you can check out on youtube and on twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast but uh, yeah i'm enjoying it as like it scratches a very particular itch bioshock does where it's kind of like a weird off-kilter world and you've got dual wielding with powers and um is just very weird. And yeah. and like there's a real creepy edge to things that like as I go in further I'm getting more of. And there's a slightly supernatural science fiction edge to everything. So I'm like I'm I'm enjoying it. It's not blow away. It's not on the same level as Bioshock or Bioshock Infinite, don't get me wrong, but it is like Bioshock Light. And if um if Dishonored 2 can hit um on like, getting, improving crucial areas um, and keeping up the momentum that, that we've seen in, in some of the the advertising and can deliver on the game it looks like it's going to be it will at the very least be a contender for our 7 out of 10 game of the year and at best it could be a, a dark horse for game of the year although it is out I think late November so I'm not going to have much Like no. I'm assuming because I've pre-ordered I'm going to be the one that's going to have to try and blitz through that game to uh-huh. see if it actually is a contender <laughs> But also that means you're going to have to be the one sitting beside me watching
1: it. So that at least two of us are able to decide whether it goes on any lists. It's a, it's a game based on Victoria London that is definitely, I would say, better than the last game that you played based on Victoria London. Mm.
0: No, it doesn't look better. No. because the one thing, as I mentioned in my article last week, the one thing The Order 1886 had it is like it is still genuinely one of the most visually stunning games I've ever played in my life well, on my console. sure, they spent all the time working on the graphics that they, you know... You can, you can render quite beautiful assets when everything is in a linear tunnel. Exactly, you know.
1: and sure, back in the day, Advent Children looked pretty good, but you know,
0: <laughs> uh, let's move on to the hot takes section of the show where we talk about the news.
1: News on the march.
0: Convention season will never truly end. No, Mark. it's it's, just, it's an it's, all year round thing now. It really is. Like you know the way in films and TV there's like awards season mm-hmm. and for a while in video games there was convention season. Um one of my favourite things seasonal in video games is that I used to love, and it's it's being taken away from us bit by bit, I used to love the summer drought in video games because it, there would be there would be like most years growing up, we have this period where with the odd notable exception, between like say May and September Fuck all came out, uh-huh. and it was a great time to revisit games. It was a great time to like polish off those big games that require your full attention. But in the last two years, that has gone the way of the dodo, because mm-hmm. like it would have been actually well. Last summer wasn't wasn't too hectic because I was able to play through The Witcher for most of the summer and stay up to date. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was my year playing The Witcher, um, but this summer has been. Nonsense. Hot nonsense. There's no rhyme or reason to why games are coming out at random times. Um, and part of that has to do with the democratization, the e- how easy it is to publish a game now, is that things are just coming out all the time. Um, I think anyway, as well,
1: everything's getting pushed back, so everything... Yeah, yeah, everything's getting delayed, so nothing <laughs>
0: yeah. is hitting the seasonal uh, <laughs> deadline it was supposed to. But anyway, conventions are another one of these things that the idea of them being a seasonal thing that happened in or around a six-month period around E3 uh, isn't so much happening anymore. EGX is, would would you say, the the better known of the conventions that take place in your homeland? I think so at this point, surely, yeah. Um... To, for, for the uninitiated, Mark, give us a brief overview of EGX, uh, what it is... And
1: uh, maybe give us an insight, because you worked at One. I, well, I, I was part of the Bethesda uh, team at One a few years ago now, which was, <clears throat> funnily enough, working on Dishonored. Mm-hmm. Um, With no you. Did you bring that up to them at all? There's uh, no you in honor there. there. There was a few times. Dishonored. Dishonored. Um, no so I, yeah i was there a few, a few years ago um basically they had it on the show floor and they had a bunch of cabinets so people could come up play it for a little bit send them on their way i was working on on the Sonnet and the bfg edition of doom 3 which was uh, also in 3d so people were putting on the glasses and looking like dicks and it was great so but yeah no you're a gamer uh when did it start inaugurated 2008 um so it's been a couple of places. Uh, usually, I've known it at uh, Earl's Court in um, London, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they've knocked down the, Earl's Court now. The famous Earl's Court, the world famous Earl's Court. Mm-hmm. I think sight they... of uh, a couple of insurrection per views. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I think they've closed that down now. I don't actually know where is it being held this year. Um... Oh yeah, it's it's in Birmingham. So I think I went to uh, Resd, which is kind of like. Uh, EGX but it's like a kind of smaller edition if you will which takes place early in the year around about March but yeah they've moved it to Birmingham now um, partially because um, the National Exhibition Centre is massive and so they can just kind of fit more stuff in there but it's it's I don't know like it's not a trade show um, you know but there are kind of trade people there Yeah. Um, but mate for the most part it's basically just kind of consumers go along There's demos there. There's, uh, I think, I get the feeling they're starting to take some elements from uh, some of the American kind of conventions. And I think with the introduction of stuff like Twitch as well, you're going to get a lot more um, kind of online demonstrations and uh, conferences and speeches and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The the, the streaming of
0: of deal, of everything has become prevalent.
1: Yeah, so it's like an amalgam. Amalgamation. There we go. Thank you, Teach War. Uh, An <laughs> amalgamation uh, of all of these things. And so I haven't been to one for a few years now. And it actually hadn't even dawned on me that this was popping up. Uh, I have no idea what is being presented th- this year. I haven't barely looked into it. But it's a pretty cool co- uh, convention to go to. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe next year. Maybe next year we'll go. That would be pretty cool. Get Some hot video content. Although I don't want to have to go to Birmingham again look for the gears of war build yeah
0: yeah <laughs> uh moving on from egx uh the pokemon company have been i'll tell you right okay here's the thing about this whole nx situation not is that we may up. not even need a nintendo direct to tell us what it is by the end of this because fucking hell as soon as one leak is plugged another starts with this thing <laughs> Good lord, of all people, and it's not like an industry insider or a third party sort of situation going on here, the fucking Pokemon company are spouting off about the NX.
1: What have they been saying, Mark? So this comes from MCV. Um, the chief executive of the Pokemon company has become the first senior industry figure to openly discuss the hybrid design of the Nintendo NX. Uh, he has a name that is, well, Senue kazuo Ishihara. There we go, that's what we're going to go with. Uh, the NX is trying to change the concept of what it means to be a home console device or a handheld device, he told the Wall Street Journal. We will make games for the NX. Uh, so... Uh, revealed in august uh that there is pokemon title coming for that console which will be interesting uh let's have a look the new nintendo console is a fantastic machine he said at presentation it's really a new approach it's really nintendo which is coming it with something new again we love it to be honest that could mean just about fucking anything at this point
0: this story also tags on uh the that that ubisoft are impressed yeah but uh what what we can make of that or not because ubisoft at times can be a shall we say, accused of just loving to cash in on a, on something, so it could be we love that there's another revenue stream just about to open up. Yeah, well I mean, hey, look what I would like is comments from a third party developer that it's easy to make a port. That will that will, that'll calm me down a little about the longevity. Well, this is going to be the interesting thing, because third like, party... Policy... they're not usually necessarily massively dependent on third party,
1: but... No, uh... but, I mean the reason that third-party developers um kind of ran like rats off a sinking ship is because the wii u was just a pain to pour over essentially and to think
0: like in a generation um a generation removed from all the headaches the ps3 brought you'd think people in the industry would learn well but a thing or two
1: no but that that was just in terms of something to the machine in terms of just the hardware in the machine, but this was like, okay here's a tablet, we need, need, now need to incorporate this into mm-hmm. the game as well so I'm curious to see what the, oh, well, I mean everyone is, but just curious to see like what the NX is and the, the architecture of it and how, what differences there are going to be if uh, a developer like Ubisoft makes a game for the PS4 and the Xbox One and then wants to port it as well to the NX, and on top of that as well If you have the fucking company that decides, okay, so we have something that is going to be on the Xbox One and the PS4, but also can be 4K rendered for the PS Pro and the Scorpio and then the NX as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) i'm really curious to see it. and everyone's losing their minds about when they're actually going to announce this thing like people yeah. have been going proper fucking da Vinci code on this yeah
0: it's crazy like the thing is like you'd think people would be doing that for like a launch date not the no, just announcement. the announcement yeah yeah, because yeah. we know they've said it's coming out in march
1: i fucking hope that we don't hear anything until like the last week of february and they're just like yes yeah, <laughs> boom yeah just reggie's body is ready again but you know it's great because they're, they're just building up hype and not even doing anything
0: uh, in slightly less uh, good Nintendo-related news, I think the inevitable has happened. Pokemon Uranium, the the fan-made uh, Pokemon game that took, I think, nine years yeah, of on. development, um, officially closed down this week. Um, <clears throat> this comes from Eurogamer here. Development on the incredibly popular fan-made game, Pokemon Uranium, has ceased. In a note on Twitter, the creators of the game, nine years in the making said they would no longer offer downloads, updates, or support. And I'll just read the, the statement from the team here. Since the beginning, working on Pokemon Uranium has been an incredible adventure. We, When we started this fan game project nine years ago, none of us imagined how big an impact it would have on our lives. Developing this game has inspired us to improve our skills, has taught us about the importance of teamwork, and the value of a passionate, dedicated community. Unfortunately, Pokemon or as pokemon uranium is a fan game there is a limit to how far projects such as these can go we are therefore ceasing development on this project as such we the creators of the game will no longer be offering downloads updates or uh, online services or support for pokemon uranium we're immensely flattered and overwhelmed by the fu- uh, the response this game has received but now it's time for us to move on to future efforts we all hope that you will continue to be passionate about pokemon and join us in celebrating the 20th anniversary with joy and love sincerely the uranium team that is a very classy way to say "fuck you, Nintendo. <laughs> Nintendo's lawyers uh, have been sniffing around for a while, and we're just going to. We know that we haven't. We haven't no a hope. Nah. So we're like, obviously, this game is still going to be available any torrent site or ROM site you can think of is going to have a Pokémon Uranium download, so don't fear, you will still be able to play the game if you want.
1: 1.5 million downloads.
0: But I think one of the things people were really liking was that this game was going to get, like... I don't know why they thought this was going to be a thing that could possibly happen, but it was nice, the idea that there would be, like, online updates or perhaps, like, free DLC even for uh, a Pokémon game. Bless these people that live in such a romantic world. Yeah, um... Sad to see like a, a labour of love go so quickly that they yeah. didn't even really leave it much time at all being yeah. live. But uh it also shows just the like the, the the significance of Pokemon, like that the the I think you were saying earlier on when we were reading an article on our stream about how it's weird that twenty years later the Pokemon backlash still hasn't come.
1: No. It's, <laughs> it's one
0: of the things that people are like, Fucking yeah like either either fuck it yeah or it's not my thing, but fucking yeah, yeah, not how much about self like, you know.
1: Well, it's like it it kind of it exists just under the, the the kind of undercurrent of mainstream culture. Yeah, so and like you pops know, its head up every now and then. Yeah, right? so you know it's there, but yeah. it's not in your face the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And Pikachu's really cute, so you know, yeah, he, damn right, he's a good lad.
0: Yeah. Um, Destiny. Wow. Who would have thought? Over two years later, there would still be stories about Destiny being fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought when that released in 2014 as half a fucking game that we would still be talking about it in September of 2016? The original story from Eurogamer here. Good morning and hello from a long queue of people waiting (laughs) to play Destiny Rise of Iron. Bungie's big new expansion was supposed to have gone live an hour ago at 10am UK time, but the vast majority of players still lack access. The developer tweeted ahead of Rise of Iron's launch that players, with all the necessary patches, there have been a couple over the past few days, should only have to return to the game's Orbit screen to immediately start playing. Alas, this was not to be. 10am brought a flurry of error codes and then a constant tapir error for anyone trying to connect. The long-snouted animal began trending on Twitter. Half an hour later, players uh, began to be placed in queues to let players into Destiny in the order in which people were connected. And there's a screenshot of <laughs> one person who was uh, number 41,211 on a, on a list waiting to log in. But even this doesn't seem to be happening. Myself, our guides editor Matthew, and our Matt, and high profile Destiny streamer Rx have all experienced our queues being killed off multiple times while the whole process is restarting from scratch. I went from 48k in the queue down to 28k, only to then be placed at 198k with the process only seeming to cycle through a few hundred people every minute. Are those leaving the queue simply giving up or getting disconnected again? Have you connected yet? As I type this, my latest queue has now failed twice, and I'm now at the back of the line again, behind more than 300,000 other people. Oh, dear. Bungie what? has historically always had a smooth launch for its expansions. Destiny and last year's The Taken King were both launched without fuss, which means today's troubles all are all the more frustrating for those waiting. And before I hand over to you, Mark, an update... From 2:45 p.m. the same day, Destiny servers have sorted themselves out after this morning's disastrous launch. Took a couple of hours for Bungie to fix connection problems after the supposed rollout time for new expansion Rise of Iron. But Eurogamer has now been able to complete the DLC's main story mission and experience no further issues. At least we know that lasts only about two hours. At
1: least we know people are still playing it. There's
0: a lot of people still
1: playing that game. Yeah,
0: there's an awful lot of people. That is like when that the thing is right the thing that has warded me off and has kept me away from it is that like when it came out it was about half a game and that was when they had the chance to pull me in yeah it took a year i think it was before the i think it was when the taken king came out so whenever the taken king came out i think that was at the end of year one then people kind of went okay there's enough content in there now that it's basically a full normal game so if that game had launched with all the content up to the Taken King if that had been what came out in 2014 then I think more people would have been happy I think I probably would
1: have played it for longer not traded it in but here we are yeah it's kind of the same thing I I felt with uh, Street Fighter um and it's great and all the people saying oh no but there's stuff here now it's like yeah but you lot are all way ahead of us because you were the crazy ones who wanted yeah. to fucking stick through that first year where I went and played other things that had like a full it's experience. like when go back
0: after a long time of not playing GTA online oh yeah I am level like seventy something now, but there are people who are like level two hundred. You know <laughs> I, mean? I was like, "Well, I am never gonna never no." I like I have too many interests and too many. Like sometimes I go outside, <laughs> you know. Like I am so never,
1: never gonna get caught in those. Fucks. Sometimes I like to play another game.
0: Yeah, and I am not like I am not on message boards where people are figuring out exploits to accelerate their XP quicker and all this sort of shit. Fuck that noise, Mark. Today you told me about uh, like what can only be described as an earth-shattering bargain on the new Xbox One S, which I will reiterate, I think is a very pretty
1: console. You really like to emphasize that, don't you?
0: Yeah, well, because I have the original Xbox One and it is a fucking VCR. <laughs> which you also like to emphasize like, every but, time but that's, about it. It. but that's the thing is that, like, they brought out the, the Xbox One and these were the guys who, like, one of, like, I could sit here and, tell, and talk to you for hours about how fucked the 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 publicity the launch and the first year or so of xbox one was right one of the things that is just the most basic and disappointing things that happened with xbox one is there was literally no effort put into the actual design of the box mm-hmm. like i know they're both black boxes extensively extensively spe- speaking but the playstation 4 has some design to it you know what i mean like i know the real impressive thing about the ps4 at launch was what was under the hood in it but at least it like it looks cool on a
1: shelf you know what i mean the xbox one looks obnoxious in a this is the entertainment unit that is going to be on your shelf and you'd night- yeah. and you fuck all up. It, it
0: looks like when you put it on a shelf you need to strongly consider whether the shelf can bear it <laughs> weight wise yeah but the Xbox One, the the Xbox One S, the the slim redesign, even though it's not that much, like it's it is slimmer, but it's not like it's not PS two slim. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not it's not drastic, yeah. but it is a sleeker. It looks like some thought might have accidentally been put into it at some stage, and it is a smaller console, thankfully. Um, that is coming out around that we are we are in the is it out now.
1: The well, the release date they have here on Tesco Direct is for the twenty second of September. So that is Tomorrow today. is it twenty first or twenty second? Today? today is the twenty second. Oh, then yeah, well, today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Huh. There you go. There you so go. tell us about this bundle now. Bear in mind, this was a console that cost four fifty at launch. It was more. It was fifty more than the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um. It has come down the... I think the base console, the not one terabyte version, is maybe 350 now, maybe or maybe 300. But uh, tell us about this, um, the, this bundle that's coming with us. Well, basically, this bundle is on offer till the 25th. So you got three days from when you... If you're hearing this on the day the podcast drops, you got three days.
1: Uh, essentially, you get an Xbox One Slim, 500 gigabyte, Overwatch, FIFA 17... And Forza Horizon 3 for two hundred and thirty nine of your hard earned pounds. It's,
0: like that's a really really good bargain. That, that equates is to just fucking insane. That equates to give it give us a conversion there uh, to euro on the just. Oh, look just, it up there, I was yeah. going to say, I'm no not sense. saying Matt with Mark Robinson. Um, no, uh, the only thing I will say that the only drawback I can conceive of with that bundle there is the fact that it is the five hundred gig model. Um, and the fact that realistically, especially with all the space the OS takes up on Xbox One, um, that is not a huge amount for someone that plays a lot of different games. If you're the casual gamer that might pick up only a handful of games a year, 500 gigabyte is probably plenty. Can you not change the hard drives in that? Nope. Oh. You can do... The, it has... I, I could be wrong here, but I think they have patched in external hard drive support, but that is like you requiring... To have a solid-state hard drive, so that's extra space on your shelf and another plug. Okay, so
1: £239, as we stand, is €278. Euro. So, uh, uh, my guess earlier on about 280 was... And considering, so, like, those three games would be, what,
0: €60, €70? Yeah, 70, 69 to
1: seventy four ninety nine euros the is ba- the typical... Basically, you're looking at about paying €80 euro for an Xbox One Slim. Yeah. That's... Yeah, it's pretty good.
0: Again, like it's um, it's just a shame that they aren't more custom. Like, PS Four has really dicked all over them in how easy it is to switch out a hard drive. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll tell you what, uh, like I'd be, I I'd be way more annoyed if I still had the five hundred gig. Like, I I bought a 500 gig model my playstation 4 is a launch playstation 4 but i went and bought a two terabyte hard drive and switched it out by myself and i haven't looked back since it's just so convenient to not have to worry about space or inventory management on your fucking console let alone your games you're playing
1: i think there is a good (laughs) chance that microsoft might make a killing uh with these two new like the the ps uh slim ps4 slim and the xbox one slim um, because uh, for like people like me Who have a PS4 like, That Like is still going to be my It's going to be your, your sidearm I mean the simple fact yeah. is As you're saying there Sure 500 gigabytes isn't that much Which is crazy to think about Even like 10 years ago Like 500 gigabytes was so much yeah. But hey I get Forza Horizon there That's mm. great The other two games I could, I could play them on, on PS4 If I wanted to I could sell them yeah. in whatever there's a couple of exclusives that I'd be interested in, mainly at this point, Forza Horizon and Gears of War Four. Yeah, it'd be perfect. Yeah,
0: I put it this way: like I have twenty games, I think they're thereabouts, on my Xbox One. That is including the fact that most of the rare replay ones are counted as separate games, the ones that already had Xbox <laughs> Three Hundred and Sixty ports, and it is still nearly full. Yeah. Um, because some games on it are huge. Hello, Master Chief Collection. That's about 100 gigs by itself. Uh-huh. Um, and again, the OS space, I think, takes up maybe about 15% of that 500 gigs, which is fucking insane. But uh, yeah, that's um, that's the Xbox One S bundle. Like you said, if, if you're buying it as your secondary console, you don't intend to be playing game after game after game, or maybe you are someone who doesn't, like, will, as soon as you're kind of done with one game, you delete it and never come back to it again. Yeah, This might be your bag. Microsoft, never wants to miss an opportunity, have been, as you described in the show notes here, throwing shade at the competition. <laughs> this comes from MCV. PS4 Pro's 4.2 teraflops of processing power is not enough to run true 4K, Microsoft have said. I think there's a lot of caveats they're giving customers right now around 4K, Microsoft's Albert Pinello told Eurogamer. They're talking about checkerboard rendering and upscaling and things like that. There are just a lot of asterisks, uh, asterisks in their marketing around 4K, which is interesting because we, when we thought we uh, what spec we wanted for Scorpio, we were very clear we wanted developers to take their Xbox One engines and render them in native true HD. That's why we picked the 6 teraflop number. That's why we have the memory bandwidth we have. That's why we have the teraflops we have, because it's what we have heard from game developers was required to achieve native 4K. Sony has recently had to stand up to accusations that PS4 Pro's upscaling techniques mean that its 4K marketing is a little deceptive and it's a point Microsoft is clearly keen to power home. I know 4.2 teraflops is not enough to do true true 4K, he said. Uh, I feel like our product aspired a little higher and we will have fewer asterisks around the 4K experiences we deliver on our box. The answer as to why Sony uh, arrived at different spec requirements could well be price, of course. Most were surprised that PS4 Pro Pros comparatively low three hundred and fifty pounds sterling recommended retail price. How much are Scorpio Six teraflops flops going to cost? Well, we haven't announced the price yet, so we'll see. It will be an interesting discussion next time we chat. Yeah, it will be. Uh, also touched upon was the idea that both companies were being reactive to one another. To which he said, "The most shocking thing about all of this is how Sony uh, and us arrived at a similar strategy, even though the execution was different in nuanced ways." Pinillo insisted. Certainly this is a pretty revolutionary idea. When we announced Project Scorpio D3 to do this kind of mid-console upgrade and Sony clearly had their plans, which are very similar, I just think that it's interesting for what it's worth. It's a pretty revolutionary idea to have two companies arrive at. Mark, gonna throw to you, you were the man who uh, wrote an article getting into the nitty-gritty on 4K this week. Your thoughts on the shade that is being thrown and the, uh, the importance that... The upscaling to 4k versus the native 4k will have not for you but generally speaking he really
1: sounds like billy mitchell
0: <laughs> yeah Don't get ahead of yourself no
1: no um okay so i think one of the key things i mentioned in the uh article which you can go read at links the cast.eu titled who gives a 4k way is that both companies are having a dick-waving competition at the moment, not seen since the days of the Bit Wars. And do you know who the most insufferable people in the Bit Wars were? Everyone. Everyone. I was <laughs> oh, <that's> right. <laughs> yes. Hey! And the same can be said here, because the shade that is thrown here by either company is going to have a trickle-down effect to the uh, kind of die-hard Xbox One fans and die-hard PS4 fans. And I've already been through uh, forums and Twitter pages, and I've seen people on both sides throwing out about, well, we run at native 4K, and we do this, and we do that. I'm really curious to see how much the Xbox Scorpio is going to cost, that's that's the thing for me. I, I am $500. Four fifty, maybe. I'll say I'll say five hundred. Yeah.
0: Um, I think in or around, in or around what it cost at launch, which is four fifty. Yeah. It might be a little more. Yeah. Depends.
1: Now this is kind of slightly off topic, in some ways from from the article. I still can't work out who the fuck this thing is aimed at because those who are that fussed about four K gaming already have a pc that can do it mm. you know like unless sony make a killing on 4k tvs this christmas which i don't think they will because um you know your nice hd television that you bought five to ten years ago has a shelf life of about 20 years i don't know um it's it's may not surprising that we're at the point now where um companies are starting to throw prams at uh, throw prams <laughs> throw toys out of the pram <laughs> throw prams, throw out, of the prams out of the toys yeah it's just it's a fucking clown show you know yeah. it's amazing to watch and read yeah um from the outside imagine looking caring at... <laughs> oh yeah
0: imagine caring like my for like my 40 inch hd tv here is plenty sharp the only thing i talked to you earlier on about how i'm i'm tempted to maybe get the slimmer, the pro um, because some like retailers are offering really good kind of like trade in your old console and pay a pittance to get the new one. Mm. The only thing that would make me pick a pro over a slim is the fact that like not the 4K, the 4K didn't even enter into it for me. It's just a slightly improved performance from the faster processing power.
1: Yeah, like... The, it's,
0: the, the 4K doesn't... I don't give a fuck. No, there, there
1: will <laughs> be some differences, sure. Yeah. I just... There
0: will be a day. I have no interest in being the early adopter for 4K. No. It doesn't have enough. There is no killer reason for me to have it. Like, 1080p is fine for me. Not only that, but about half the games that come out can't even make it to 1080p. So why am I going to 4K? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just when people start banging on about 8K that I will really lose my shit.
0: That'll be like Super K or something. That'll be some sort of stupid fucking tech industry buzzword for it. Um. Double uh. Before we get into a, a a double barrel story of hilarity from the internet, I want I want to touch on something very briefly, and that's Firewatch. One mm-hmm. of our could be uh in discussions for some awards at the end of the year. We were big fans of it when we played yep, it here yep, on the program. Yep. Um, supposed to have come to Xbox One. Won't now for a little while.
1: Wait, it's out in a few places.
0: Yeah, it's, yep. it's out in a few territories, but uh, Europe and Australasia yeah. in particular, it
1: uh, has not come what out. What is the official name for that continent? I thought it was Oceania, or is it Australasia, or, or is um, it
0: Australia? I, I didn't... I, well, why are you coming to me with this? I don't know. Why are you coming to It's me like, I
1: don't know what Middle America, uh, Central America, like, that's not a continent. Is that North? No, or it's or? North
0: and South America. Yeah. Central America is part of North America. It is uh, yeah. Okay,
1: all right. Happy to help. Thank you. Appreciate that. Cheers. <laughs> Tell me about. <laughs> well, Tell I mean, me to be Firewatch. fair, I a, what is I, Firewatch? I had a geography teacher once as a girlfriend who thought the Middle East was classified as a continent. So there you go. <laughs> uh, Firewatch um, is so hot that if I hold it in my hands with the controller, I need to have like a kind of air conditioning ventilation unit the whole time. Uh, no, Firewatch is a um, a game that takes place in is it a fictional version of Yellowstone or is it no? It's not Yellowstone. It's um, Yosemite. yes that's the one and uh it's a it's kind of like a walking simulator but there's a little bit more going on yeah. uh again me and dave are big fans of it and probably will be in our you can interview. watch a complete playthrough you of can. us on our youtube channel you can do yeah and so is that all
0: three of us doing
1: that yeah right. was there for a little bit a yeah bit. yeah got distracted of by something shiny and left. yeah happens um especially to him but yeah, no, it's currently out in the US, Mexico, Canada, Russia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, and Argentina. Uh, Argentina? Argentina. But we don't have it yet. Xbox users are able to try out the new free roam mode already, while other platforms will be getting it in the coming weeks. I'll be curious to see what free roam mode is. I probably imagine it's like, psst, just you can go wherever and take pretty pictures. Yeah, so.
0: but it's not kind of, there are certain parts of the game where yeah. like places are blocked off and it forces you down a tunnel. Yeah, so that'd be cool. Um, double-barreled dose of Steam-related news here. I'm going to give you the first one. I'll take the second one here. So, um, Steam has made some changes and then made some more.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Talk to me. Uh, okay. So, basically, Steam have slightly tweaked the way that user reviews work. Uh, basically, where before you could just throw on your review of a game, Regardless of whether you actually have played it or not, or whether, if you, regardless if you had purchased it or not, and so Steam uh, and and Valve tweaked that basically, and now that you can't put a user review on a game out there uh, unless you actually have purchased the game. Which meant that there were a number of games. And someone had a a spreadsheet somewhere. I can't remember what what specific games. But basically there were ones that had uh, a a critical rating of like 91%. That had dropped as far as 15%. Um, I went and then looked at some of these games. And wasn't wholly surprised. Why? So uh, yeah. There are developers out there that have um, had a, a pissing and moaning about this. But. I can see why Valve have done this, and I think it's all for the better, because it seems that there is a fair reflection on what these games should be getting from user reviews. Yeah, I
0: think that the theme of our two stories here about Steam is how maybe Steam has been a wonderful force for the democratization of game publishing,
1: but perhaps not enough thought was put into curation and moderation. No, um, Jim Sterling has made it pretty clear on a number of occasions boy howdy, that... Speaking of yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> go ahead go oh, we've ahead. got a story you may recall us mentioning at one point uh, a developer by the name of uh, i use the term loosely uh, digital homicide uh, who got into a public and litigious war of words with jim sterling who was kind of Jim Sterling? For those of you who don't know, uh, formerly of Destructoid, now out on his own doing his uh, gym acquisition on YouTube and his pod as part of his gym acquisition website, does game reviews. One uh, one aspect to what Jim Sterling does uh, as part of his, his uh, content, as opposed to maybe games journalism, it is definitely games journalism, but it is not in the way you would typically think of it is that he is a consumer advocate. So yep. what he will do is he will search out the worst of Steam and Steam Greenlight, which is their kind of... Um, how would you describe screen, Steam Greenlight? It's a it's a program through which you can submit your game, and if it gets voted well enough, if, it, if the community likes it enough, it will be put through onto Steam.
1: It's kind of like Early Access. Yeah, it's, the, yeah kind of. Um,
0: so he will point out um, kind of developers or games that are kind of exploiting the system or that are trying to exploit the consumer that's part of what he does it's been a shtick of his all the way back to jimquisition uh when it was on the escapist back to his work with destructoid um it's just been a constant it's one of his big things that that he likes to do and you know fair play to him because there are very few people that actually are the consumer advocates within uh video game journalism like because i think mainstream video game journalism tends to focus on the kind of preview review cycle which completely understandable that's how those sites get clicks the consumer advocacy thing not necessarily going to generate yeah the clicks he's as much. kind of on an island to himself well and total on... biscuit and a couple of others do that kind of consumer like he got it what was it, it was a day one gary's incident that total biscuit got into some legal trouble over calling out for bullshit
1: I don't follow Toto Biscuit as much. Sterling's
0: the one I... Yeah, there's a couple of people like that that are out in, like you said, an island of their own for Mm -hmm. the consumer advocacy. Anyway, you may recall us talking about the feud between him and Digital Homicide. There are some some of his best content, some of his most scintillating, interesting videos have been on the, the back and forth with him in digital homicide, which has been like a beggar's belief. And the
1: amazing thing is he doesn't even have to, he hasn't had to do much of the work because they give him yeah. all the material.
0: Yeah. Well, it's insane. like what they're saying now about the United States election is that Hillary Clinton um, does her best work when no one is paying attention to her and everyone's paying attem- paying attention to Donald Trump repeatedly shooting himself in the foot. Yeah. Um, And that's what's ha- what seems to be happening with digital homicide. Digital homicide... Uh, are suing Jim Sterling at the moment, so Jim Sterling kind of can only really make off-handed references to them. He can't really directly mention the case because they're ongoing legal proceedings. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's one that he has expressed very much confidence in because he has broken no laws and believes it's just a lawsuit to shut him up.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I thought,
1: (laughs) (laughs) naively...
0: That maybe now that they're kind of they're focusing on their war with Jim Sterling, this would be the last digital homicide until that lawsuit was settled one way or the other. I thought they're going to continue to put out their their games, which Jim Sterling has actually said that there's a lot of it, it's it's just compiled together from assets taken from the is it Unity. Uh, yeah, I think from one of them that I saw, it looked and very much they're like They're asset flips. Yeah, the phrase he gives is asset flips, where yeah. they buy assets off a store and just compile them together in a game rather than actually build a game. Yes. That,
1: um, from one of them that I saw, that was
0: yeah, pretty much yeah. that. So with, I, I thought, naively, that that was going to be the last we'd hear for a little while. They just continue putting out these games, but because they were suing Jim Sterling, we wouldn't hear from Jim Sterling, even though he may want to. Talk about it. And perhaps other people might be kind of like... We'll step away from the... con that We don't want any part of these incredibly litigious... And possibly allegedly insane people.
1: Until this
0: week. When keep, I was away in Prague...
1: Well. This this all kicked keep off. In really. This is a company, by the way, that is called Digital
0: Homicide. Yeah. And has changed its name several times... To kind of uh, hide on Steam. And yeah. it's kind of published... Ga- it's so... Just... There is a a YouTube video, just Google Jim Sterling Digital Homicide. It's like Digital Homicide Saga or something. There's a Jimquisition about it where he details the whole thing. I don't want to get into it here. Anyway, this headline from uh, (laughs) PCWorld.com. Games yanked from Steam after developer sues users for nasty negative reviews. A game developer's catalog recently disappeared from Steam after the company decided to do to sue 100 Steam users who were leaving negative reviews. Digital homicide found co-founder James Ramin, it's it's him and his brother Robert, isn't it? I think I it's think the it's the two brothers, of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um the game developer in question is seeking damages of 18 million dollars from the commenters.
1: Pinky to the to the mouth.
0: Um, this is I don't know how much they're they're suing Jim Sterling for, but it's probably a, a comparable number.
1: I thought I thought it was around about fifteen million.
0: Yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean like it'd be in and around the same ridiculous ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the comments for a variety of claims, including harassment, stalking, criminal, da- and this is all very rich considering they tried to dox Jim Sterling. Mm-hmm. Um, in a recorded interview that they recorded and published that he didn't. He had I think he had done a backup recording. This this it's incredible. This is one of the most surreal things, is that they invited Jim for a discussion yep. and recorded it and published it as if they were going to be able to go, aha. Uh-huh. But if you listen to the whole thing, and I have, a couple <laughs> of times, it is like they keep trying to dox him and threaten him and like try to outsmart him and go, aha, we have proved you're a hypocrite. And Jim Sterling is just like, no yeah and they actually accidentally dox someone else because they thought they found out his real name yeah, yeah. and which is a matter of public record as well it's not like i take that fucking much effort to find out what his name is i think it's on his wikipedia yeah um but uh they doxed a woman that they thought was related to him and then like there was someone i'm, I'm not saying it was them because i i, I couldn't like for the sake of I want to be certain when I'm talking about people who are a bit litigious. Um, there was a party, an unnamed party, we'll say, published, I think it was Google Maps photos of Jim's house and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just a bit rich that, like, uh, feelings are hurt and all of a sudden the lawsuits are coming out. Um, Steam owner Valve confirmed to Motherboard that it had removed... Digital Homicide's games from the platform for being hostile to Steam users. Valve stopped short of mentioning the lawsuit as its reason for dumping Digital Homicide. Digital Homicide's titles include Starship, Nova Strike, Crog Wars, and Wyatt Derp. For its part, Digital Homicide quotes, said it was being treated unfairly. Responding to Valve's comments on its website, the company said Valve had fi- failed to properly moderate Steam comments... Failed to fucking moderate games I can get on Steam, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> the result of which meant Steam users were making personal attacks, harassment. By the way, this is, this is the same company that published a review of Jim Sterling's review, yes. burying him, yep. harassing uh-huh. him, and making personal uh-huh. attacks on him. Now I will say... Th- it, but also, handing him his favourite catchphrase, I'm Jim fucking Sterling, son.
1: Yeah, I am... Um i i there's no doubt that i'm sure there are people out there that have been uh aggressive and have sent flaming uh comments and whatnot to digital homicides. which say, I, in no way in no way do we condone in no way that no, anyone absolutely not within we do not condone condones.
0: people being mean on the internet no but <laughs> there's such a thing as a track record uh-huh yeah. negative reviews are one thing um and harassment is another. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Um, it'd be one thing if um, it was like an organized attack on games that were good and some sort of a conspiracy, or if they be- they believed uh, they accused Jim Sterling in the interview of, of uh, directing his followers to give negative reviews to their games, which
1: was absolutely not the which case. Which is absolutely like no yeah. way. In fact, he had advocated for people not, not to, to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's fair to say that the flames have been fanned by themselves. Yeah.
0: Um, Digital Homicide's response includes some of the comments it found objectionable as you might expect from anything related to the internet these include comments with threats of murder uh, entreaties to commit suicide and personal attacks Digital Homicide is now seeking counsel to take legal action against Steam in addition to the 100 Steam users and I will also add and Jim Sterling yeah, uh-huh why this matters with all games now off steam it's not clear how many of the comments from the defendants included hateful or violent speech because obviously before this was a news story the games were already gone mm-hmm. nevertheless digital homicide does have a point that comments such as I want to murder everyone responsible for this game <laughs> should not be tolerated <laughs> on steam or anywhere Should've else laugh. online know, laugh. there are no heroes in this situation Bad apples everywhere. True, the game developer does not have the best reputation. Many critics and users say the company produces endless amounts of shovelware that flood greenlight Steam's crowdsourced catalogue curation system. In 2015, the company was accused of a shady tactic of using different... Oh, this is another thing. Different developer names for its various games as reported by MMO Fallout. Ostensibly, the company did this in order to avoid too many bad user reviews for tainting its name. This is not the only digital lo- <laughs> the only lawsuit digital homicide has going either. Ramin is also suing game critic Jim Sterling after filling uh, after filing since overturned DMC Oh that was yeah they they DMCA'd his videos to take them down, but Jeez they were overturned for In order to have Sterling's video evaluations of digital homicide games taken down, in that case, Ramin says Sterling has made false claims and that the critics' viewers also left nasty and harassing comments on digital homicide game forum pages, according to Ramin's GoFundMe project page, which I'm going to look at shortly. Ramin says the harassment has also gone offline. In one case, Ramin says he has received a pile of feces in the mail probably because he ordered one of his own games. Uh, Despite all that, however, threats against the company and the people behind it are not deserved. At the same time, a lawsuit attacking the very people you want as your customers isn't a productive strategy either. (laughs) In fact, it's (laughs) already had a negative result for digital homicide since the catalogue is now absent from the most important retail platform for PC games. Yeah. We don't advocate, by any stretch of the imagination, threats of violence or anything like that against developers. However, at the same time, Going and uh, threatening legal action against people who have negative things to say about your games is not uh, a great or grown-up way to respond no, to things. I, I just... Critics are allowed to have
1: opinions. Consumers are allowed to have opinions. <laughs> I am I want to know the people that are actually behind the digital homicide. Because like, there's at least five of them. Mm. I, I want to have a word with them. Yeah. Yeah. They
0: uh they are at sorry um on his GoFundMe here I'm not going to read out the because it is uh just so long. Who's this? Uh, this is the Jim Ram- James Ramin has a GoFundMe to fund his legal campaign to take on the uh, Steam users. Okay, it has a seventy-five thousand dollar goal. Uh huh. It is at four hundred and twenty-five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> in, oh, actually, no, because this, this must be also against Jim Sterling because this GoFundMe has been up for six months and has raised $425, which I will add there has not been a donation in four months and all the donations to this point have, I think, yeah, all of them have been anonymous. One might cynically suspect... <laughs> That these anonymous donations are from a party or parties mm. within uh, the company. <sighs> Beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, uh we'll be keeping we'll be keeping our eye on this story because this yep. is not the last you
1: will hear of uh, digital homicide. Dear game developers of the world, how not to run a game development company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um,
0: last but by uh certainly not least and this is uh relatively uh up-to-date news um that could affect popular channels on youtube popular game streamers gaming is the backbone of youtube content it really fucking is isn't it <laughs> the, well this is like i said to you the single biggest channel on youtube is pewdiepie i
1: think the top three or four uh or like, as well are yeah or, have you got n- smash
0: you got markiplier diamond Minecart, curse snappy longhead uh Buh, jacksepticeye
1: cast all of them yeah, like they either so it's many. either the background of gaming or gaming is a heavy part yeah, of their it's, content yeah it's part
0: of our content platform it's part of like any video game outlet uh as time goes on now is valuing youtube more and more so this is relevant to gaming and gamers yeah YouTube has announced details for its new YouTube Heroes platform that wants to gamify volunteer moderation of the service, but some of the platform's biggest stars here see it as a serious mis- misstep. So you hadn't heard of this before no. I mentioned it to you, so I'll, I'll read it out to you, what we get here from Silicon Republic, and you tell me how you feel about it. Sure. The YouTube Heroes platform revealed by Google owns, the google own service is its latest effort to recruit the wider YouTube audience of over 1 billion people. Ridiculous. Ridiculous to moderate content that appears every day. Rather than relying on willpower alone, however, YouTube has taken a step in gamifying the process where a YouTube hero can gain points for moderating videos. By gaining more points, the moderator can then rise up five ranks, each of which has their own benefits, such as level five that allows someone to test new YouTube features before they're released. Among some of the jobs that they would do is asked to be helped out help out with including adding subtitles to videos as well as offering technical help to people on google support forums both of which i think are very good and positive uh things to encourage mm-hmm. um i think the, the there are people out there who will go independently for no pay or anything like that just add subtitles to youtube videos for the the hard of hearing and i think that is that's yeah. great work yeah. as are people who are providing legitimate answers on google support forums but perhaps the one issue that is causing concern with youtube creators this is where the worm turns Relates to how YouTube Heroes moderators can report videos they deem to be in violation of YouTube's community guidelines. More specifically, they have an issue with the fact that these moderators have the ability to flag videos en masse, so you can flag multiple videos at once that they deem offensive. This, some of them argue, will stifle content, as by throwing moderation out to the masses, personal grudges and censorship could become prevalent. Ireland's biggest YouTube star, Jack Septiceye, took Twitter to criticize the move by commenting on YouTube's decision to remove the ability to comment on video. To which he says, YouTube uploads video uh, about boosting the community with YouTube heroes, but then turns off the comment. Such a great message. Yeah. <laughs> At the time of writing, the promotional video released by YouTube itself had reached nearly 500,000 views. However, it's notable that it has close to 140,000 dislikes compared with just over 2,000 likes. Uh, Philip DeFranco here a uh, popular YouTuber He's and uh, kind of guy who will keep you up to date on changes to YouTube and things like that the YouTube Hero program seems a bit like throwing everybody throwing everyone who once won a gun and a badge because you didn't build up a police force <laughs> uh, Ellen Rose as well has said as someone who's been targeted and mass flagged by people who dislike me this shot
1: from uh, the YouTube Heroes vid makes me feel very uneasy yeah that's that's kind of the key Uh, thing that i'm thinking there um certainly as we go so much more as we go further into this digital social age where um when you get a collective group the hive mind the hive mind um certainly with personal grudges uh, and agendas Mm -hmm. i think straight away uh, Uh (laughs) i
0: know the word you're going to use next it begins with a g and has another g in it doesn't it uh,
1: no no oh well i mean i guess they are all related but i was thinking of certain videos your um, feminist frequencies of the world like mm. i can imagine straight away just them getting flagged up yeah um and this also by the way yeah. uh comes
0: on the heels of people figuring out that youtube changed monetization recently and mm-hmm. didn't tell anybody yeah. where um flagged uh, videos that are flagged as having inappropriate content and treat yourself to reading the list of things that are classified as, classified, classified as not advertiser-friendly, including even referring to current events, like such as wars uh, and things like that. Anyway, uh, some more comments here from uh, YouTubers or social media people. Uh, a guy who I, I think everyone should follow if you're into games and music, Miracle of Sound, mm-hmm. Gav. Yeah, uh, an yeah, Irishman yeah. as well, a fine young man. Good lad. There's no way this will go horribly wrong due to the vindictive spitefulness of the internet mobs. Everything is fine. Uh, one of our favorites,
1: Anthony Fantano, yeah, internet's busiest music <laughs> nerd,
0: said, "Why is YouTube trying to wreck
1: YouTube again?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I think part of this, and certainly from what you just said there about the the rules of um, what can be deemed to to flag a video, YouTube is owned by Google. Mm-hmm. Google is. Publicly traded company. Why about... Are you sliding
0: on that tinfoil hat?
1: <laughs> no, but you... that not just seeing where it was going. No, I know it, could... but you know could... where I'm going. Yeah, like, yeah. there's going to have been a boardroom meeting somewhere where they're like, "Well, we need to." No, no, no. Someone with a tie who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing has come up with a list of rules that yeah, they so think is a good idea. Has never seen a YouTube. Has never seen a YouTube in there. Can't even life. do an internet. Exactly. And I feel that has probably somewhere, this is kinda, somewhere it, on the line It's kind of like partners. one of these things like,
0: Do you remember the, the Fine Brothers getting all their abuse earlier on in the oh, year for the, the React amazing. world thing? But it's one of those things where in their head and on paper it seems like a great idea Yeah And then in practice not so much Yeah We'll keep you updated on that uh, Yeah Because YouTube has been known in the past to when there's a vociferous ne- negative response to something that they will in fairness to them amend things and
1: whenever we actually start making any money from this i guess that'll affect us but until
0: then yeah yeah <laughs> so that is that is the news for this week and we'll move on to our big feature every week where we talk about uh our link to the cast book club which is a feature that explores one of the uh, important moments whether it's a game or some other form of media it's important to the history of gaming and this week we are going to talk about the citizen cane of documentaries oh my god this week is King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Billy Mitchell, primo joystick dude. Amazing in the maze, he ain't gonna lose. Blue men in the corridor singing the blues. A perfect game goes down. Billy's on the move. The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters is a 2007 American documentary film. Highlighting the popular 1980s arcade game Donkey Kong, it follows Steve Wiebe in his attempts to take the world high score for the arcade game from Billy Mitchell, whom the film presents as reigning champion. The film premiered on January 22, 2007 at the 2007 Slamdance Film Festival, and has been shown at the Newport Beach Film Festival, the Seattle International Film Festival, the South by Southwest Film Festival, and Tribeca Film Festival, among others. The film's original title was simply The King of Kong, but later received a subtitle, A Fistful of Quarters. A scripted film adaptation is also in the works. Directed Seth Gordon uh, has said the movie might be a sequel instead of a remake, telling the story of how the documentary changed both men's lives, as well as their continuing rivalry. A brief summation of the plot before we continue. Um, in... Uh, no, do you know what? I won't... I, I can't, no, because we need to... <laughs> this is... This is unlike, right, because this is the first time on the book club we've done something that isn't a video game. Yes. It is a documentary about video games. Yeah. This won't be the last time we do it. This is the first time we do it. So we need to do things a little bit differently rather than discuss a plot because it's something we're going to, this is going to be akin to a movie review. And it's the first time we've done anything like this. Mm-hmm. I'm a man who loves a documentary. Mm-hmm. I fucking love documentaries. As long as I can remember watching films, I have I have loved a really good documentary. And this is one of my favorite documentaries. I watched this one night with, with a group of friends in college, not really knowing what I was getting myself in for. And I was treated to... It, it, I find the best documentaries, some of the best documentaries, are ones that give you a look into a world or a subculture... But either you didn't know existed or you didn't remotely comprehend the level to which it does exist. I think the latter is true in this case. Mm-hmm. We know, going back to the Nintendo World Championships, we know that competitive video gaming is important. We have our Evos, we have our International 4s, things like that. We know competitive video gaming is a thing. Bigger than it's this, Yes, this is a story. This is a story of... It's got everything.
1: It's got has drama.
0: Got, it has got politics. It has got drama. It has got espionage. It has got intrigue. Romance at points. It's got uh, videotape exchanges uh, behind uh, like a black shroud in an airport with an old woman. Um, it's got... Uh, high, among, high comedy. High comedy. Unintentional most of the time. Yeah it has got a heart to it Mm -hmm. it has got among the greatest panto villains I have ever encountered in a film and at the same time it's also like an underdog sports movie like I said to you like the way this film is treated and the way the narrative is framed at some point is as if it's telling the story of like a football player that suffered a career ending setback only to return and win a Super Bowl I have seen this film many times in the last six years since the first time I saw it last night Mark you watched the King of Kong for the first time in your life yeah your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> you want to kick us off you you have notes so I do what I'm gonna do is I think I'll get you to kind of chip through your notes sure. we'll go through the, the movie in order the thoughts that were occurring to you at the time I'll chip in here or there with my with my thoughts and okay. kind of we'll have a conversation in that way
1: so I was aware of this film Yes, but I had I had to be. I had never seen it because as anyone who knows me, when it comes to watching television or films, you are the worst. I am the worst. You are the worst. I am. You. You need to either pin me down or give me an actual purpose to watch it. And yeah. for the podcast, it's a pretty good reason to watch it. I might just slip in next week on the show. of Development. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this film, like, it's. I now have two films that. I want people to watch who have never seen it before, but not tell them what to anything yeah. about it going in. Yeah. The Room is one of them, and now King of Kong is the other. Yeah. I have a trolley version of that where I include the documentary Dear
0: Zachary. Have you ever heard of this? No. Right. I'm not going to do this to our listeners because I like our listeners. Okay. But it is the most heartbreaking, horrifying. Like, by the end of Dear Zachary, you are just like. Fuck the human race. <laughs> let us just, as um, as Matthew McConaughey once said in True Detective, let us just walk hand in hand into oblivion and be mm. done with it. Mm-hmm. Because everything is fucked and the world is awful. This was at a time where I would consider, consider myself much more than now to have had a heart of stone. And even I was welling up. I was so sad by the end of it. But I used to tell people, just watch it it's Uh, it's a lot of fun and i did it i got i think about three people who just like i would get like someone has posted on your facebook page i'd look on facebook you son of a (laughs) bitch (laughs) (laughs) i got someone to
1: watch it on a date with someone once oh man (laughs) but the thing with king of king of is if i can imagine if you show it to someone who doesn't know anything about video games or has what they think in their mind a stereotype of what a video game player uh would be, act, sound, and look like. It ticks every single fucking stereotype you can think of. Yeah. And even also, for us. But also, at
0: the same time, like, it's not in a way as to, like, actively make fun of. Oh, no, no. No. But it's like, it's as if to go, these are real people and they're really fucking weird. Yeah. But, like,
1: cool. Yeah. You know, it's you do you. There's just a complete lack of self awareness for yeah. everyone in this film, bar maybe one or two people. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, the first quote that I have written down simply: I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I play video games, which is a powerful statement to to yeah. start with. Which like,
0: which he called then a superior
1: addiction. Yeah. Which like, I, I turned to you and just said,
0: like, he's right. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, it's probably better for you to be addicted to video games than say heroin. Yeah. Or PCP. Uh huh. But you couldn't have picked a worse man or way to <laughs> phrase to say these things. Yeah. Um next was this the man with the drapes that said that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the the, like the Ronnie mustache. Next, Walter Day. The champion of man. The
1: world's video game referee. Yeah, the founder of Twin Twin Galaxies, Galaxies. who
0: are kind of like the the I would say the organizational body of the kind of the people who record record scores of arcade games if you think you have a score that is the world record of a game, you will send your recording of beating that score to Twin Galaxies or a Twin Galaxies official will oversee it. Yeah, And Walter Day is the man who has been there... They show archive footage of him from around the time of the Nintendo World Championships in the 80s. It was like 1982. Yeah. Three, around so yeah. he's been doing this for longer than we've been alive. Yeah. So like much as certain elements of him, like there are with a lot of characters in this film, much as certain elements of him are ridiculous. Like the fact he wears an actual referee's shirt or the fact that at one point he plays a folk song standing in front of a silo. Yeah. For no reason. i tell you what. And, and like... I hope not, but there is, a, there is a moment in the film, every time i watch it, where I'm like, does he live in his
1: car? <laughs> I really hope he does. It. He's a lovely man. Like, a little weird, but he's a lovely man. You, you mentioned it um, as we were talking about this, um, and only having briefly watched some clips and one episode, but most of the characters in this film are straight out of Arrested Development. Straight out of Arrested Development, or straight out of like a
0: documentary, like a Christopher Guest documentary, like Spinal Tap. Yeah. Or, um, best in show, the one about dogs, which we, we should watch because dogs are so good. But it's even
1: worse and better in some ways because, because it's not It's real, it's, real it's, people. It, these are real people. Um, so that's Walter Day. So I can't work out if he uh, is like a low rent indie referee because he's always wearing his fucking referee yeah. shirt as well. But there are also like, there are kind of like nods. He's it's not, it's wearing not mentioned his referee as being an.
0: Yeah. It's not, apart from when he does his song. Then he's wearing like a duffel coat and a hoodie, well, and, it was cold. and inexplicably and was like beige slacks.
1: Fuck's sake!
0: Um, there are all, there are like a lot of implications that uh, in the film, but no one ever really, apart from with Steve and Billy, no one really pays attention to. Like most of these people do have real jobs, also. Yeah, you know, but that's not important. Yeah. Um. So you have Walter Day. You have his, who's one of my favorite people in the film, his assistant referee. <laughs> the guy who spends most of
1: um the film in his like his little talking head segments in a doom three shirt i have seen this man at every independent wrestling show i have been to or some equivalent uh since i was 17 he is the very definition of like um a parody
0: character you would have where every single time he appears on screen he pushes his glasses back up his nose and says "Uh, actually
1: yeah that kind of guy um, so he uh, he takes us into his I presume bedroom or, or some room in his house, and he has just fucking videotapes Tapes. everywhere, and it's and it's of people
0: who are recording high scores. Yes, and his job as a video game referee is to verify these scores. So he much he must watch with complete rapt attention the entirety of these, you can't just skip to the end. No. Because like they explain the tactics people use to like doctor tapes mm-hmm. or fuck with scores, fuck with arcade cabinets and things like that yep. to try and trick you into thinking that it's a verifiable score. So he talks about how like, you know, I think there's one point where he says, look, it's not as hard. oh no, it was it was Brian Koo who's a guy we'll get onto. Oh, in a second. Yeah, we'll get to him. Who says like, it? video game playing and stuff like that, like it's not as hard as a triathlon or a decathlon, but like paying attention for this long and being this good as another. Like it's it's very like it, it's exhausting and difficult. And I love even as well. to just to
1: referee it. And I love as well that he's lifting these weights, like I just Oh my god, yeah, the free weights. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like so all right, Meltzer, fuck. Jeez. Such a fucking weird guy. Yeah, during the commercials are raw. So Maybe it was just a shirt. Then we get to him. Billy Mitchell. Oh, I you were
0: gonna go with Brian Koo first. No, oh no, you no, gotta no. explain Billy Mitchell to get to Brian Coo. Uh, yes. You?
1: So Billy Mitchell is what you could describe as the main antagonist of this film. Yeah, he looks like I—I I, I think I nailed it last night. You did. He looks like... like Nick Cave. Yeah. If he was in Wham. Yep. Or but what was with, the other one? But with the sensibilities of uh, uh, Brent, um, David Brent, David Brent. David Brent. Yeah. yeah there's a bit. There's a touch of the Brent. <clears throat>
0: there's a touch of the David Brent about a lot of people in this
1: film. Yeah. Uh, he wears an American tie. At uh, all times? No, nope, no, not at all times. Oh, not all he, times. No. He switches out for some equally spectacular ties. Yes, yes. Uh, he has a uh, hot sauce
0: company. He wears high-waisted mom jeans or mom slacks, like they are very high-waisted. The shirt is always tucked in. He has a fabulous mullet. He has a fabulous mullet. He has uh, a very large cell phone on his uh, on yep. his belt clip. Yeah. He has. He... he has a mysterious. Uh, arm candy wife that uh, my college friends had dubbed Old Woman Young Boobs for reasons that will become apparent to you very quickly if
1: you watch the film. Yeah. And he is, at the time of this, the uh, world's uh, highest point scorer in Donkey Kong.
0: But also, curiously, a hot sauce magnate. Yes. Of some some (laughs) note. Whatever. He is the the, the mind behind Ricky's Hot Sauce and he appears to own uh, one, if not a chain of restaurants. Yeah because um, so, he's weirdly he is like a lot of his interviews are him sitting in the kitchen of a restaurant yeah. but they never talk about the restaurant <laughs> it is just assumed because a lot of
1: different scenes in the film take place in this restaurant it must be his restaurant well we get like a little scene where he's kind of shuffling some bottles of hot sauce around Ricky's hot sauce it was cool yeah uh, but we, his backstory, and they talk about the the nineteen eighty two championships where him and his friend who Steve the the lawyer guy yeah I'll yeah. get I'll get some some names uh, So basically, um, in Billy's Steve words, Steve Sanders in Billy's who, words, who was a
0: guy that um,
1: was supposed to be the number two. Yeah, but but are you about to? He yeah. yeah. Basically, he lied about his score. Yeah, he doctored his score. Yeah, and in Billy's words, uh, I played him at Donkey Kong and I beat him to a pulp. And then we get this bit where people are talking about like there's this electricity around Billy Mitchell. Yeah. And I'm just like, And he's oh. got this
0: he's got this th- thick as fuck de- like cur- like I say currently, like uh, in the present day, not in the back flashes. In the back flashes, he's got the worst tween like a couple of sprigs of hair mustache you've yeah. ever seen. It's yeah. it's depressing. But like in the the current day, quote quote, quote quote, he has got this thick Thick, black, bushy beard. It's, it's not very long, but, like, the, the hair coverage. It's got a density to it. Yeah, I it's got... Like. It's incredible density to it. And this... This hair... This, this it's
1: not even quite a mullet but it was around this point no, there it's just like he must straighten it with an actual iron it was at this point here as people were heaping praise upon him that I just looked at you and you looked at me and I was like what the fuck am I watching I know Yeah. yeah. This,
0: I think that was the moment at which you came closest to bailing on this uh, idea no no
1: I, I was never bailing oh, me, yeah, yeah, but it was very much this the... is the moment
0: where Brian certainly would have because like Brian is the anti-cringe guy I think we've mentioned when he's been on the show
1: before I never found this film cringey oh, because this is the thing because this is the thing I am very much like I don't enjoy that cringy sort of humor, yeah. but this was never cringy because you couldn't believe it was real. I, I guess so. Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe I just identified with them. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, they talk about in 1999, Billy Mitchell mastered Pac-Man and got a perfect score without dying. Um, so you know he clearly very good at his video games. Donkey Kong. No, oh, no, no he did. About, yeah, he did Pac-Man yeah, talk- as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been topped at Pac-Man though like when the current day part of the, the the filming the two he has are for donkey kong and donkey kong yeah. Jr.
1: and then and then out of nowhere <laughs> there's some fucking random guy with a guitar singing about billy mitchell who has yeah, nothing yeah. he never he's, appears, he's, he's, never appears never again never mentioned before never, never before. mentioned afterwards he's just
0: a folk singer that has a song about the story of billy mitchell just, like he's fucking billy the kid or something a, what, where,
1: what? okay sure <laughs> What a tune it was! It was, it was, a, it was emotional stuff. Um, it was like fucking sort of like folk Randy Marshall, just kind yeah. of observing on what was going on. Yeah. Um, and then we get to Steve Weeby, who is the only him and his wife are the only normal people in this film. Yeah. Well, I, I I'd actually argue the kids are more normal because here we go. So yeah. Uh, Steve Weeby, um, in his own words, he was laid off from work. Yeah.
0: He's not part of this community or this subculture. No. He's a guy who, like, liked video games, like you said, got laid off, and just kind of went, I'll fucking have a pop at it and as his wife explains is a guy who throughout his life has kind of succeeded to some level at anything he's tried like he's a very he seems to be a very accomplished pianist because yeah. the, it cuts to him um, playing piano a couple of times and he seems very talented yeah yeah, yeah. well they shouldn't
1: um, they didn't look a couple of drum fills and yeah, uh, playing basketball and yeah at and one baseball. point
0: uh, at one point in the early 90s he was part of the Seattle grunge scene yeah which just that was one of the ones that I had forgotten <laughs> about the film like there were things that I remembered like there are things you can never forget once you've seen this film but there are like little like the music between the notes that i had forgotten and yep. that was one where i was like Could you imagine, this guy may have been on the bill with some incredibly famous bands
1: yeah but the, uh, the, he
0: was a high school football star the, the key thing as well. the key
1: thing from all of this is that it's clearly a guy who uh has a tremendous amount of talent and skills but never managed to become like the best of something or, you know, really kind of put his name out there for something. Yeah.
0: There was like a a montage of, uh, them explaining occasions where he could have kicked on and become like a a top tier athlete or a top tier something, this or that, but could never get through the glass ceiling and would bottle it kind of at a big moment. Yeah.
1: And so basically he talks about, he wanted to be a musician at this point, pictures of you by the cure starts playing.
0: Yeah. And I again, soundtrack in this game as well. And again, I like this film,
1: what the fuck is going on? Okay. Are, they, video games were prevalent in the 80s fair enough. We're talking about the 90s with grunge. Where the fuck does the cure pictures of you which by the way is one of my favorite cure songs which has now been ruined forever because of this film. <laughs> sure. anyway, yeah um, they do a breakdown of Donkey Kong and they talk about um, how brutal it is and we get some like amazing explanations from some of the people. Do you uh, have any quotes? Do I have any here? Uh, but it's just it's just carnage, like pretty much, yeah. Um, I haven't got anything here off the top of my head, but it shows like Steve as well. He's got um like a kind of clear uh piece of uh, plastic, and he's like yeah, drawing he's explaining diagrams. how the get like people are saying like it's chaos, it's um
0: it's carnage and stuff like that. But he's explaining very calmly that there are predictable, like there are with a lot of those games. There are predictable patterns to the way things move in it. Like yeah. the one in particular he focuses on is the springs, which there is no like if you're familiar with Donkey Kong, like they're they're um. They're you these have the springs, barrels
1: that roll down. But in if band, you but, then but you have there to... are things
0: there are strategies like you jump over the barrels yeah. or you um. You can get the hammer and destroy the barrels, but there is no,
1: there is no kind of way to actively combat the springs. It's no. one touch kill. It's just, just void. Yeah, and it's at this point that it clearly shows that he may have some mild form of autism because it takes a person like that to start drawing out where these fucking springs land. Yeah, to really kind of like I can yeah, because they move
0: down. in, they can move in one of two potential arcs Mm, yeah so if you get the one i think it's the one that has the higher arc he was pointing out yeah if you notice one that has higher arc that's when you can move to the ladder and
1: he's showing as well like there's basically minimal frames involved between getting up that ladder and not getting hit by the spring yeah like every time
0: he makes it up the ladder and they show it it's like it is it's a couple of
1: pixels width yeah so Uh, basically they show the recorded footage of Steve getting the world record on tape uh, with his child in the background screaming as well who has soiled himself needs the father to wipe and he's basically telling the kid to fuck off yes Um, so that is the point where he becomes a terrible person in uh, this in this film so Walter gets this tape and um, he needs people to kind of see the details uh, and this is where we get uh, your man, the assistant ref, whose name I can't, I can't remember. Um, hold on, I'll get it here for you now.
0: I think uh, Robert uh, Robert Mruzek. I don't know how to pronounce that surname, but it's it's Robert, the chief referee of Twin Galaxies. Right. And um,
1: yeah, they they talk about him, and that's where we you know see the videotapes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and basically, they need to see the details. They need to know, like, okay, is this is this legit? so they go um to his house but he's not there but his wife is there and i mm-hmm. think is it like their grandmother or something as well uh and they basically pretty much just barge in to go and deconstruct the donkey kong machine to yeah. have a look and see they, you know.
0: they, this is the espionage part there's like they break into his house to analyze the board because they explain that like you know if something is slightly moved or if there's something loose or if there's a bit of like gum or something put yep. in the right place that you can you can trick these boards uh-huh. into kind of facilitating a higher score
1: and it reminded me i don't know if you've seen the video that's gone viral at the moment from the um uh, do, 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 do Trevor show with the guy who's like walking around the Republican convention and he shows up like two pictures of Hillary that are exactly the same and the guy's like well you can clearly see like you know her face is a little bit smoothed out there and in that one she's you know the hair's a little bit off and it's clearly there's two people there are two Hillary's it's that because these balls look exactly the fucking same but they're like you know you can see there's a slight indentation here and there's some slight burn marks and then we get Mr. Awesome he was one of your favorites. Uh Roy Schultz, I think his name was, better known as Mr. Awesome or Roy Awesome. Roy Schilt. Roy Schultz, sorry. Um, who had a uh he claims the world record for what game was it? Missile Command. Missile Missile Command, which um they disputed and was just it was
0: never verified it was never verified yeah because on the coda afterwards
1: for the film there was saying that he's still trying to get it verified so unbeknownst to um steve weeby he didn't realize that roy has basically this kind of vendetta against billy mitchell and and twin galaxy and all this uh steve weeby didn't have the money or uh, he didn't have a donkey kong uh arcade cabinet so uh mr. It, it was no he had the cabinet it was the I board, didn't the motherboard yeah. yeah so mr awesome gets a motherboard for him inserts it for him so that that's what
0: creates the suspicion then that perhaps he tampered with the board unbeknownst to steve weeby yeah or known to him yeah so the twin galaxies people are looking at that and going well obviously he has a motive to make sure that billy mitchell is toppled now yeah. as it turns out because it's never proven that that's what's happening it seems that, like, the only thing he was doing here was that he was paying for it, not out of friendship to Steve Weeby, but because he thought Steve Weeby could beat him.
1: Yeah. Which is fine, you know. He wanted yeah. to bring the empire down and he was funding it. And, he did it know. in a relatively fair way. Yeah, so there's there's potential hacking and espionage and there's politics in video games. Um, Billy Mitchell compares video games to abortion. No, himself. Oh, himself, that's it. Himself
0: to the abortion
1: issue. Yes, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> i was like th- did i hear that correctly uh. Uh, that's at the point where you're really like okay this man is is working on another plane to everyone else uh the karate kid soundtrack starts playing because of course you know it's gonna happen fun spot the mecca of arcade games where the superstars hang out uh essentially Steve Weeby decides, well, if they're not going to accept my high score with my Donkey Kong arcade cabinet, I will go to Fun Spot and I will do it there. um, Where everyone will be and, you know, it can be in a live platform, but there's no, there can be no disputing, I got the high score if I do it on that cabinet. Uh, They talk about the uh, kill screen and so with Donkey Kong, um, basically, there's no real kind of end of the game. Once you get Past the final screen, uh, it goes back to, I think it goes back to like the first screen for about five seconds, and then um, Mario just dies on his own, and that's it. Uh, no one's ever gotten to that point on that particular machine in Funspot. And they also talk as well about how that machine is notorious and how the kind of RNG, the sort of random number generators and shit, yeah. seem to be a little bit more brutal with that one than others, uh, which I do get a kick out of. Um, We then meet Brian Kerr. I'm going to let you take this one. Brian Kuh, I think it's pronounced the name. Brian Kuh, K-U-H. Who is like,
0: uh, you described him as Randall from Recess. He's the snitch. He's a guy who like, because Billy Mitchell is playing, I I can't even believe I'm saying this, playing mind games with Steve Weeby throughout, (laughs) where like he's refusing to show up and try and uh, like replicate his score. This this taped score that that Billy Mitchell handed over to Doris, the old woman, in a, an airport, because we see at one point in the film. Have we, have we gone over this yet? We we see at one point in the film Billy Mitchell submits a tape.
1: No, no, this this
0: is yeah. yet to be. Uh, so addressed. he submits a tape where he, it appears he has beaten Steve Weeby's new record. Uh huh. Right. So. The the thing is then because like Billy Mitchell on repeated occasions early on in the film is talking about how live scores as in scores in front of a crowd of people in front of people who can verify them are the ultimate way to judge and tape ones don't matter exactly but he's re- he refuses for most of the film actually we don't ever see him do it in front no, of a crowd we, do we? we, we yeah. never see him play a video game yeah we never see him play a video game um except in the archival footage from the eighties yeah no. um he never comes out he's just taunting uh, Steve Weeby by his absence. And by his refusal to come out, and at one point we see him, uh, during kind of the the final uh, push in the film, we see him kind of saunter in, walk past Steve, pretend like he's not looking at him, and then leave. And the he also says something like, "Oh,
1: up. you know, there's certain people that I'm not interested in talking to." Yeah. I'm here. So yeah. he's
0: sitting. Yeah, when he's bringing old woman young boobs around, yeah, yeah. he's um, he he's for most of the film he's sitting in his command center, which which I'm calling his his living room yeah <laughs> uh, receiving phone calls from a variety of his spies steve uh, steve the the disgraced uh former uh, donkey, donkey, donkey Kong Kong guy who is now a lawyer and Irony friend of, of billy ironies. mitchell um he is one of the spies he is kind of updating billy mitchell at what's going on but the chief spy is brian coo who is just the phrase we would use here in Ireland would be "liquors." Yeah, a guy who just wants to be—he wants to be known for playing Donkey Kong, but like, there's one point at which he tries to play a game of Donkey
1: Kong that doesn't get anywhere he gets like 260,000
0: yeah which yeah. is coming up by normal standards uh, yeah, is good sure. but it's not in the same league as the other two guys who no, are going for a million but, so what he settles for is that he just wants the respect of Billy Mitchell so he's constantly reporting news back to him like there are
1: half a dozen phone calls every at least. 15 fucking minutes he's like oh he's on like 760,000 now mm. and Brian's just looking into the abyss stoically like uh, uh, uh Billy Billy sorry yeah Billy um and so what happens is Brian is noticing that Steve is doing a pretty good job. And he's like, we might see a kill screen here. So, so he yeah, starts He starts going around. To people to, who could not, not give a shit. Well, I mean. He, Some of them do. He ends up with an audience, but he's yeah. just going around. So like, oh, we, we, we might see a kill screen. kill screen coming up. Donkey but kill but screen. he's doing it real loud yeah. so that, like, Steve hears. Yeah. And so what happens is that, like. I don't know about you but if I'm on um, a part of a level or I've been playing a game for a while and I'm like potentially getting for a high score I don't want anyone around me I am I want to be like tunnel vision focused on what I'm doing Steve god bless him ends up with about 50 fucking people I have a side of him like and obviously because it's one of those old arcade cabinets the peripheral vision you have to actually see what's going on inside the game cabinet isn't Mm. there's not a great kind of field of view and then on top of that, you've got fucking the referee, who's kind of constantly either side of him, like, uh, 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 and Brian as well, who's, like, just sh- saying things on the phone. I don't know how Steve pulls it off, but he ends up getting the kill screen. He's the first man to ever get the kill screen um, at Funland on that Donkey Kong cabinet, and uh, has the new world record as well, I think. they, Yeah, it would be the new world record as well, at the Funland machine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's all good. He's, like, everyone's happy. It's all great. Uh, they're getting pizza afterwards. Brian's on the phone. <laughs> to Billy. He's
0: always, the phone is fucking glued to him.
1: Suddenly there's a tape.
0: Yeah. This is the tape of which I spoke. Oh, you, you mentioned this. Well, this is the tape. This is the tape of him beating it again. Oh, yeah, 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 This yeah. is the one that, like, we had seen earlier in the film. He handed a tape to the old woman yeah. and basically said to her, you can lose anything don't lose this tape don't lose this tape and then he says about brian because brian gets the tape yeah he tells brian you can lose your life yeah yeah but don't lose this tape (laughs) so they show this tape yeah and this tape is he's just obviously what he had done was he waited for the moment at which steve's confidence was at its highest just to
1: break out this tape which is just what a hill oh yeah now with that said the tape itself there is a moment where um there is some kind of white noise, some fuzziness at the moment that it ticks
0: over uh, to a million points. Where obviously, because there's only six slots for the score, so the score ticks over to zero again yeah. and starts. At that exact moment, mm-hmm. there's some fuzziness. And VHS technology has a lot of fuzziness to it when it's a copied tape yep, and not yeah. a master, particularly. So there's just fuzziness at uh, an opportune or inopportune moment, depending on how you see it. Where the score suddenly becomes zero.
1: Yeah. So there's a little bit of controversy. And, um, you know, Billy has been this proponent about doing live scores in live settings, you know, to really kind of prove yourself. Yeah. And we have this videotape. Um, the referee is kind of like, well, uh, yeah. he goes for it anyway. He puts it in. Steve Weeby had this kind of moment of triumph and it's yeah. just been knocked down. Yeah. And you're like, Billy, you son of a bitch. And, like, his hill status has been fully, like, cemented there at that point in the film. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we've got shenanigans. There are tears. Steve is crying. We have actual, legit tears, which I wasn't prepared for when I come into this film. That was not (laughs) something I was expecting. Um, Video game referee standing outside a silo playing guitar uh billy talks about the three initials that truly kind of oh my god is. that is
0: one of the that's the david brentiest moment i think he has and where he starts, he's like people always ask me what my three because when you when you set a high score on an arcade game they always ask you to put in three initials yeah so it's like people always ask me what my handle is what my, my initials are when i when i score a game it's pretty obvious isn't and it? he starts stroking his tie yeah and, and, and the, so guy the guy goes like t-i-e and he goes <laughs> no (laughs) it's like what tie was i wearing yesterday and obviously he was wearing his american flag tie yesterday so i went usa and he's like that's right and he's like because during the championships he was explaining that he was competing against guys from south america different countries and he's like you need to make sure americans were on top
1: so usa is his america yeah so at this point i i clock on that the video game referee is constantly wearing his fucking video game referee shirt regardless and then he has a conversation with your man from the Guinness Book of World Records, and they talk about how they want to, um, you know, use the Donkey Kong high score to put into the Guinness Book of World Records. And um, Walter, the the referee, he is sitting there in his office or wherever, wearing his fucking referee shirt, having this conversation. But, like, with a headset microphone, but
0: also with the, the sound of the phone call blaring out through speakers. Yes. Thus rendering the
1: headphone part of the headset mic... Completely redundant. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, we get comparisons to uh, other great rivalries, like the Yankees versus the Red Sox. Heckle and Jekyll. Heckle and Jekyll. <laughs> which I still... I, Alright. Were they the two racist crows from that cartoon? I don't know. I think they were. I, 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 whatever. And then there's uh, Billy Mitchell and Steve Wiebe. This is the new great rivalry that exists in the world. Uh, basically, uh, Steve makes his way down to Hollywood, Florida, where he's, uh, in Billy Mitchell's backyard. And basically he has four days to try it and, uh, get the world record. Mm -hmm. And so the next four days, and he brings his family down as well. Uh, they have like a little party before he leaves and they're like, oh, good luck. Hope you do it. Um, his kids are just like, what the fuck is all of this? What is going on here? And then, yeah. And then we get four days of uh, Steve trying to get the record with um Billy's lawyer friend who's kind of sitting on, on the whole situation. He becomes yeah. the new Brian basically. He's well, kind Brian's of, still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Floating around like a little snake. Um and then the best fucking bit of this film Well, best bit of a few. Uh the thing is that the evening before last, all the video game players, they're in a, a restaurant and they're sitting down to eat and Steve's like oh yeah you know um, just whatever and then suddenly um, Steve and one of the other players kind of come in and they weren't invited and they're sitting on their own doing their own thing and then your lawyer man walks straight out and he's on the phone to Billy like "Uh, yeah um, they've come here uninvited I don't know what's going on And then he's talking to the cameraman. He's like, oh yeah, Billy's not going to come here. He's not going to be here. And then he immediately drives past into the car park. But like in the most awkward,
0: like he drives past, the camera sees him, the cameraman points out, that's Billy right there. And then like Billy drives so slowly around the restaurant and behind and like hides behind a wall. And, like, Steve kind of, like, jogs to catch yeah. up in the most, like, And on, like, top, of that as, on top of that as
1: well, so for the first two days, I think Billy's been dropping uh, your man off at the, the place, and he's, that's like... spy for him. But he's literally, like... What, have we
0: mentioned, that this is, like, the the, the the reason this is taking place in this particular venue is that they deliberately went to Billy's hometown yeah, to try yeah, and yeah, yeah. draw he's him like out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, ten minutes,
1: yeah. And so, like, Hollywood, Florida. Hollywood, Florida, yeah. And so Billy is driving him there. He drives him to the fucking venue and yeah. then drives off. Yeah. Oh, he's too busy. He's, he's, too, busy. Busy. he's yeah, too busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though all we ever see him doing is fucking standing around in his restaurant, not doing anything, talking about America, and he's tie. and he's tie. yeah. Uh, and then, like, basically, Steve tries, but he can't do it. Um, he fails to to get his to beat the high score. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of the, the, the kind of last bit of the film, really, until the kind of credits roll, yeah, uh, where we get the um, kind of triumphant news that. Steve eventually does beat the high score. Um, I also... Oh, and there's also... (laughs) So your lawyer man and Billy are sitting there. And uh, lawyer man, again, name I can't remember, who's like... Steve. Steve, yeah. um, He's like, you know, like, uh, Steve's a good guy. You know, he's got got kind of real courage and real power. and, And I appreciate, like, him coming down and really going for it. And Billy's just staring a... Ho- he is staring a fucking hole through him this whole <laughs> yeah, yeah. time. And then Steve looks at Billy and is like, eh, what do you think, Billy? goes, oh, I, don't, I don't really know anything about the situation. I uh, don't really have any opinions. Yeah. He's like, you absolute fucking worm. Yeah. Uh, and then that's it. And then, yeah, in, in the after credits, um, they uh, announced that Steve actually does beat the high score, which was like, yay, because...
0: I also... Have a post-post script before we get into your impressions of the film on that. Okay. On July 26th, 2007, on the 25th anniversary of Mitchell's first record-setting performance, Mitchell once again played in public and retook the Donkey Kong record with a score of 1,050,200. Jesus. Though that score was then surpassed on February 26th, 2010, by Hank Chien who was temporarily the world record holder of Donkey Kong. Mitchell reclaimed his title once again on July 24th, 2010, and it would be the last time he held the record. Oh, no. As Steve Wiebe took it again. And uh, apparently in the years since his record, the the record has been traded between uh, Steve Wiebe Hank Chien and uh, a man, co- uh, men called Wes Copeland and Robbie Lakeman. Okay. Each of those men have all held the title twice between this period. Um, as of time of recording, Steve Wiebe has not held the record since 2011. But he, of the two rivals in this, he was the one to last hold the title. Uh, I'll give you some of um, some notable scores from Billy Mitchell's history, if you mm-hmm. if you would like to sure. hear them. Go for it. So just to break down the stats, I'm going to see, um, yeah. So this is under his Wikipedia. He has a section called Notable Scores. Um, So this is the complete history of uh, Panto Villain, Billy Mitchell. First acknowledged uh, highest overall score on Donkey Kong with 886,900 in 1982. Believed to have been, together with Chris Aria, the first to reach the ultimate split-screen level 256 in Pac-Man in the summer of 1983. Mitchell commented this on this in 2016 claiming he had achieved perfection. <laughs> Moved the record score from his Pac-Man to 703,560 in ni- January 1985, still not surpassed until 2001 by his friend Chris Aria. First person to achieve a perfect Pac-Man score of 3,333,360 achieved July 3rd, 1999 at Funspot Family Fun Center. As of September 2010, 28 years after settling the initial Donkey Kong record, this is the one championship Mitchell still holds, sharing it with six other players as of August
1: 2015.
0: Mm -hmm. Moved the record score of Donkey Kong to 957,300 in 2004. First acknowledged million point score on Donkey Kong with that dodgy tape of 1,050,200 in 2007. Moved the record score for Burger Time to 7,881,050 in 1984, still not surpassed until 2005. Became the fifth and last, as of 2015, person to achieve a score on Centipede in marathon play of over 10 million points, achieved on July 8, 1985. Recaptured the world records for both Donkey Kong one million sixty-two thousand eight hundred and Donkey Kong Junior one million two hundred seventy thousand nine hundred on the week of July 2010 As of as of twenty fifteen, both of these records have been surpassed. Mark, your uh your final thoughts on this movie, and as someone who has just seen it for the first time, your elevator pitch and why other people
1: should go out and see this if they haven't been persuaded already. If you want to see Spinal Tap, but within the realm of video games and but, actually happen, uh, actually a real thing, you, you have to see this film. It's it's a subculture that um, I guess in some ways I am a part of just by association. Not if nothing the same else. strata. As Jesus they are. Christ! Not in the same fucking universe. Um, it's it's an amazing film. Uh, Billy Mitchell was one of the great antagonists of our time. Uh, and as you say it's got like a kind of underdog story as well yeah, you know it's it's got it, has everything. Every, it has everything it actually does and just my final detail on this film
0: before we uh, throw over to you for our game for next week in December 2009 Steve Wiebe re- released a contemporary Christian rock album called The King of Song
1: Well, that's that's just perfect. That's where we're going to leave. That is just perfect. Mark,
0: our last bit of business for this week is to ask you, it is your turn to pick for us what is the next entrant into the Link to the Cast Book Club.
1: Yeah, so next week, uh, I'm only going back to uh, a couple of years ago. We're keeping it pretty contemporary. Uh, I want to talk about a game that absolutely entranced me with its graphical presentation and its uh, soundtrack. Hat to full boyfriend? No, funnily (laughs) enough. Uh, and is also Bastard Hard, which is uh, a category of difficulty that I only reserve for a few games. I would like to talk to you about the video game uh, representation of Drive, and that is Hotline Miami.
0: Hotline Miami it is for next week on The Book Club.
1: Well, that
0: is just about time, I think. Time to do our wrap up. Our new website is linked to Oh, it's the old website, but it's it's the old website. It's got a new address. Linktothecast.eu to is where our kind of our hub for our content is. It's where you can see the articles with the show notes for the podcast. Our articles that go up during the week, all sorts of things. Our weekly content wrap up, which will be starting back this week. Now that we have a full uh, week of content, and we're both in the country this weekend. Uh-huh. We'll be putting that back up so you can check us out there. Social media is probably the best place to keep up to date with what we're doing, live streams and whatnot. That is facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on Twitter. Twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast is where we do our live streams and we archive them later on on YouTube. Just search for link to the cast there. Screw you, Ann Robinson speaking of streams we have a weekly schedule we have, speaking of Anne Robinson uh, we have uh, Monday to Friday at least one piece of content that goes up every day generally speaking Monday is Mark on Mondays Mark is currently uh, a wash in Undertale still in Undertale um, talk to me about what's coming up next week on Undertale or what was up this week
1: uh, so what are they doing on this? oh yeah um, I had a cooking show with a killer robot well we'll leave it
0: at that that's not going to get any better than that um tuesday is the day that we publish an article on the website and we publish um generally uh, an old book club <laughs> yeah not so much yeah. this week um but uh generally speaking we'll put up an old book club so you can go uh listen to that in isolation from the podcast we should actually start putting links to the podcast it's from in the description as well yeah. i literally just thought of that this second so there let's do that clever girl um you had an article this week yes mark tell us about
1: it it was um as mentioned earlier in this episode just my thoughts around the kind of announcements of the uh, ps4 pro and the xbox one scorpio and talking a little bit about 4k and the kind of general perception around that mm-hmm. um and some kind of pro experiences with 4k um and- Pretty much it, really. Uh, This coming week will be my article, which I am tentatively
0: titling "Revisiting Rapture," Mm -hmm. because I'm not able to do it in stream form. I'm going to talk about what it's like to come back to Rapture some eight years later, and perhaps a little bit about the legacy that the original Bioshock has had in video games. Strong. Uh, Wednesday is uh, our kind of like almost co-op day on the website. It's called LTTC Plays, which uh, myself and Mark, kind of uh, pilot and co-pilot. A playthrough of a narrative-heavy game and kind of talk about uh, how silly or how great it is, depending on the game and the moment in the game. We are playing Beyond Two Souls at the moment, the David Cage uh, car wreck.
1: I would say Enduring Beyond Two Souls. And uh,
0: a video that just went up earlier today because we were delayed a day because of my travelling. Um, how, how did you find today's recording? How was on the... But did, it kind of it was one of the ones where like I say with these David Cage games like usually one hour is great and the next hour is like peak David Cage of weirdness or quick timey I, I think this one was one where even within the hour it kind of oscillated yeah, wildly
1: uh, I mean I didn't expect us to end up in the fucking desert of New Mexico I'll uh, tell you what but, hanging out with Navajo ghosties check I, all that
0: out on YouTube I just, I just don't know Thursday generally speaking with the exception of this week where we're putting up the LTC TCC plays on the same day that will be the day where we put up the podcast. In isolation, listen to the podcast, enjoy it, subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, podcast providers of preference. Give us a rating, five stars, please. Nice please review. Please, please, Helps please. our search engine optimization. We love it every time we notice ourselves in the new and noteworthy section on iTunes. Friday is Friday of plays. I like to ring in the weekend by uh, playing through uh, some sort of a game that I'm kind of playing a lot at the moment. At the moment, it's Dishonored without a U uh Dishonored Definitive Edition because uh 2k were being dicks and wouldn't let me stream all the Bioshock games like I wanted to through the winter I had to think fast and Dishonored is what I landed at and Dishonored I am enjoying quite a bit so check out episode two of that coming up tomorrow at some point. Well, I think that's gonna do it for us here on the programme now. That's our Monday to Friday content announced. Um, individually, you're at Lithium Project on Twitter. And uh, I am at Dave Ryan IV on Twitter. Follow us there, keep the conversation going. Obviously link to the cast at gmail.com as well if you wanna slide into our DM, send us an email there. Woof. Uh feel free to do so. We do periodically when we when we do get questions and stuff, we will read them out as we've done on a couple of podcasts in the past. Um so, yeah, for another episode, episode 37 in the bag of Link to the Cast, uh, I have been Dave Ryan. That man over there has been Mark Robinson. Peace out. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Video games. And everything.